Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about some drama at the largest Pokemon tournament of all time. A player disqualified from the Top Cut before Top Cut even got started. We will chat about a new announcement, a fan-made Pokemon TCG simulator called Twin Leaf set to release sometime in the near future. We'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the cast. And then we also will go over the event results from the North American International Championships. We'll talk about our predictions from last week, what we got right, what we got wrong, and what there is to learn heading into the World Championships in just about a month. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my co-host Azul GG. By the way, Azul, someone last week on the YouTube video commented that Azul should do the intro this week. So, I mean, we could start over. If you want to do the intro, you want to you want to give it a shot? or <laughs> I think we'll just let you keep doing the intro from here on out, Chip. That's fine with me. But yeah, I just got back from NAIC. Uh, played Gardevoir. I did not have the greatest tournament uh, myself. I believe I got some championship points. Not that it really matters for me uh, in my current situation for this season. Uh, maybe it'll matter. Yeah, for, I think you got uh, sixty, probably. Yeah, it'll maybe matter for like a stipend next season. I had a pretty good quarter overall. I think I don't really remember. Um, yeah, you probably got the top sixteen stipend for LAIC or like whatever the first IC is this year. Yeah, maybe as long as. Uh, yeah, actually, everyone's assuming it's LA. Everyone like, that I've been seeing posting on Twitter has been like, well, it usually is LA, I see, right? That usually right. is the first one. Uh, but we'll see. It could, it could, they could change it up. Because the first one, the first one, the first time ever was London. London was the first IC ever, so maybe they'll switch it up this time. But what about back? Oh, they'll never do NAIC first. I was like, what about back to back NAIC? <laughs> <laughs> NAIC will always be the last one for sure. That's like, I think, a game. I think so. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I played Guard War. I tied the win in into day two. Um,. I did have a gentleman's agreement with my opponent, but I won game two on turn three of time, so there was nothing really, to, no board state to go off of. Um, so I ended up just being a tie overall, which kind of sucks, but I mean, it's not that big of a deal overall, to be honest. Um, not stressing about it. Did play Gardvor. Me and the crew played Gardvor, which quite a few people were surprised about, but yeah, just in our testing, it didn't feel like there was anything better, to be honest. Gardvor just kind of felt like the. Uh, the deck to play, and it seemed like a lot of the other top players in the game going into the tournament seemed to agree. I feel like that was what the majority, you know, toward playing Gardvor, um, Gustavo playing Gardvor. So it seemed to be a pretty, uh, um, pretty well, a pretty, it was a pretty uh, popular deck overall, uh, was the most yeah. played deck. But um, yeah, that was my tournament run. How about you, Chip? How was your, uh, the casting? I didn't see you too much at the tournament. I know, yeah. We were right before we started recording, we were chatting about how we like after the tournament got started, we pretty much didn't really see much of each other. I got in on Wednesday, you got in a little bit earlier and we hung out a bit Wednesday and Thursday. I kind of like hung out with you guys while you were testing, helped run some games and gave my input a little bit. Um, but after Thursday night, yeah, I think I saw you for a few minutes during day one and that was like for pretty much it. Like uh the ICs from just the casting perspective are nonstop pretty much. I get there before the tournament starts and then I leave after the tournament's done and have very few breaks in between. And my breaks it's like you have five you have like so pretty much you get two rounds off every single day where you have no responsibilities. But during those rounds, it's like you have to try to eat lunch and dinner. Um 
try to sit down and relax a little bit, but also you want to go out on the tournament floor and like watch games that are happening. And it is a break like during a round that is happening. So there's not like really a chance to <laughs> catch up with anyone because everyone's playing in the tournament still. Um, but it's good. You know, I mean, I love getting to do it. It was an absolute blast. Shout out to anyone who in those few moments that I was <laughs> out from backstage came up, said hello. I really appreciate it. I'm sure plenty of people came up and chatted with you as well. Um, yeah. Just about your content and the podcast and all the other things that you do. But um, it was a great event. I had a blast. Thanks to Pokemon for bringing me out. My favorite part, for sure, outside of the event, though, was like hanging out on Sunday after the finals had happened. There's like a big food court area in the Columbus Convention Center where everyone kind of just ended up congregating. And I, I just remember there being a moment. I, I ran my cube with a few people. Um, Puka was there and he ran his cube with a group of people. So we were doing like a double header cube. And I remember like kind of looking up from my game, hanging out with people at one point and just looking around the room. And it's like there's multiple international champions, world champions hanging out, you know, tons of, you know, prize money and stuff. And it's like that stuff just doesn't even matter. Everyone's just hanging out and playing Pokemon. People are playing old formats. People were testing standard. People were cubing. Uh, people were doing like their own alternate little formats, GLC, just a ton of people hanging out, playing Pokemon, other board games and stuff too. It was just kind of a, a pretty cool environment, honestly. I just kind of looked up, noticed it, kind of took it in for a second. Uh, and I love that stuff for sure. But it was a blast. Loved, um, loved the NAIC. Yeah, the food court. I didn't like actually hang out in the food court very often myself, but yeah, every time I walked through it, <clears throat> cause I was going back and forth that, uh, the Drury Hotel multiple times. Yeah, there's always people down there <clears throat> having a good time playing some poke. It was the spot to be for sure if you weren't playing in the main event or when the main event was over and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, speaking of the main event, uh, I guess to give my perspective as a player, man. Oh, also real quick, oh, I guess we should ahead. just mention for anyone like uh, I'm obviously not at home. <laughs> uh, Azul's doing all the recording and stuff once again this week. So shout out to him for being willing to do that. So uh if i sound a little weird if you're listening and not watching on the youtube video that's probably why uh, just a little bit different setup than normal but we'll be back to normal next week yeah and it's a chip is not does not have a green screen it looks like a green screen but it's <laughs> i don't not, know why you think that it, it does it, it's because someone confirmed in the comment section on the youtube it does look like a green screen right? i'm not tripping it looks look look, look. There's a ceiling fan up there. You can tell no green screen action that could happening. Be part of the green screen, couldn't it? Like theoretically. <laughs> I don't think. So. What, what do you need me to do? Open the door? Like <laughs> I'm just saying, it looks like it. It's so weird the how how much it, and for some reason, I, like we were talking about this before that we started recording. But when I saw and I, I've seen this background before, and people who have like watched every episode or the other episodes where you, because uh, you've you filmed from this location before. Um, yeah. So this background is not 100% new, but for some reason it looks like a green screen this time. But for some reason also this time, you know what it also is? I think it's the lighting on you. It just, just gave me vibes of The Shining for some reason, for anyone who's seen that movie. It yeah. looks like Chip is like in The Shining. I don't know why. The, the wood paneling walls, very 70s feel, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess it must be. I don't know why. It was just like literally I saw it. I was like, it's a green screen. It looks like The Shining. What's going on here? Chip, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're good, man. We're good. I promise. Um, But yeah, biggest not biggest tournament outside of japan ever right almost 2,000 players uh we're pretty close with our prediction right? i think i predicted last week on the podcast it'd be under 2,000 which kind of makes sense we we're looking at probably around 11 or 2100 masters registered no shows yada yada people can't make it and we we're around 19 i think it's 1894 or something so we we're right about yeah. 1900 
uh, Masters Division player. So massive tournament, biggest tournament outside of Japan ever. Uh, dude, it was packed, bro. It was it was honestly kind of miserable. <laughs> like the the amount, like it just the, the time it took you to get to your table between rounds. I mean, obviously there's not too much you can do about it, but the like the lanes were were super congested to getting to tables. Um, and but the the venue did seem to be like it seemed like the space was pretty much maximized. To be honest, like if you looked around the venue, walked around the venue, like every kind of inch of the venue seemed to be mostly taken up with something, right? So the, the space was being maximized, so it kind of makes sense it was super congested, but it was it was hot in there. Um, it wasn't too humid overall, I felt like, overall at the tournament, but it was, I mean, I was sweating, man. <laughs> it was congested. It was packed. I did not have a great time, to be honest, in the whole the, the play area, but I'm someone who sweats a lot. So, like, for me, I'm going to be a lot more uncomfortable than the average person in those kind of situations. Yeah, I didn't have to deal with much of that since I was, like, backstage a lot. But um, I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are on how it felt compared to the normal hall that we're in. So right? much, like, last the, year was so much better. There was so much last year it felt better. We did have plus 700 players, but we did have two halls compared to one. How we had VG, VG was way bigger this year than last year, like probably mm -hmm. not even comparable. We had Unite, we had well, we had, there was Go last year, but there wasn't Unite last. No, there was Unite last year, wasn't there? Eh, was there Unite not last year? Not at NAIC, I don't think. I don't remember, but I don't uh, think so. There was a lot more going on for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, the Masters division of TCG is the mainest, the biggest uh, component of space. They take up the most space yeah, by the far. Mainest, it's not even for mainest, sure. the mostest. <laughs> uh, it's not even comparable, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. So. It's always going to be the biggest space take up by far. Um, and obviously we increased by like 700 players this year. Um, yeah, just it was just really congested. I would, I would like it to feel, I mean, ideally next year, get enough space so we can have more competitors. Maybe we can even like push for 3,000, but also not have it feel like super congested as, as well. Um, yeah, I think a number I saw on Twitter was like 3,300 players uh, between like all games, yeah. all divisions, which is really cool. I mean, it's one of the largest. I think it was Chris Brown that tweeted it. It's like one of the largest, not Chris Brown, the singer, by the way, just Chris Brown, who works at Pokemon. Um, the um, like one of the largest gaming events of all time, which is pretty sweet uh, to be a part of that. And just like it seems like this is not the well, we've not hit the ceiling yet, right? Yeah. So some room for growth. And we we actually like showed like the growth has already happened, but they're just with the capacity wasn't there for the growth. And then yeah. uh, ideally, you know, grow more next season. Yeah, that is pretty cool though, that we're competing with like uh, uh, I don't know. It's like esports. Like esports tournaments aren't really like open anymore though. Like they used to be. A lot of mm -hmm. esports stuff now is like leagues and invite only tournaments, stuff like that. But like back in the day. Esports tournament used to be big, like kind of like what our tournaments are these days, like big open bracket tournaments. Um, but it's cool that we're kind of like competing on that level of what those used to be. And we're getting kind of close to what magic numbers are as well. Like we're not quite there, not quite competing with magic's numbers, but you know, we're growing. Um, and it's more so the, the growth is, the growth is still there. It's just kind of, we're getting capped by uh, venue space more than anything. So. Oh, one thing I did want to mention too, I talked about this on the broadcast, even like the giant inflatable Pikachu that's up in the rafters. Normally when you walk into the NAIC hall, when it was like the, like this one was uh, more wide than it was long, yeah. right? Normally the hall is like very deep. It just goes, goes, goes forever. This one was more wide. So, cause it was like a bigger stage up at the, at the front, as opposed to what it normally is. Um, Normally, the giant Pikachu, you walk in the room and it like dwarfs the room or like it's like that's like right in your face. 
And you walked into this hall, and it you noticed it. It was there, but it wasn't like... Dude, I did not notice I don't it. Know. I didn't even realize oh, it was Oh, you didn't there. even notice it? <laughs> I didn't realize it was there. Yeah, so, it, it, I mean, it was there, but that's just kind of like... It definitely felt smaller because the, the space was bigger, even though there's more people in it. So maybe the fact that there's more people in there makes it feel not as big as what last year was. Just the fact that we had a lot of space last year and uh, like, you know, 30 percent less people were at the tournament, something like that yeah. um, probably contributed there. But very cool to see. Hopefully we can keep selling more seats and uh, Pokemon will keep up with the growth. Yeah, hopefully we get uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that the event was just one single pod because that's different from what NAIC normally is. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, how in the past NAIC and U.S. Nationals before it were always podded, so they would basically break up the 1,000-plus person tournament into two separate mini tournaments and then combine them all together into a new day, too. They didn't do that this year, which, pros and cons, I don't really know, like, upside downside theoretically you want the pods to be running at the same time anyway right but if one is super held up you can move on with the orange pod while the blue pod falls behind did you notice anything as a player azul i know on our end there was quite a few like really long delays with the stream where we were just trying to kill some time because there was like a long judge ruling that was happening is that something you noticed um it went pretty smooth actually because i think we got out of there like nine um Nothing felt like it was hung up too much. I think a potted tournament probably just runs smoother, though. Um, <clears throat> that's why they've done it in the past. Um, so it'd be cool to see them do that moving forward. Although, like that, what I've heard is that it's just really finicky, right? Just making the software do that is just really annoying to make it work. So that's probably why they've been not doing it, even in these bigger events. <clears throat> but uh, it would be cool to see that... Uh, them fix that issue and then kind of do that moving forward. Um, it definitely felt like when you compared it to last year, but last year we had so much more space. So like, that's why it also probably felt, uh, but last year did feel like it ran a little bit smoother overall. Um, and it was, it was potted, uh, but the tournament didn't, the tournament felt like it ran pretty smooth overall. Like, I mean, yeah, like I said, we're out of there by like nine. So it felt like the tournament ran smooth. Um, and I feel like there was any huge hiccups on the, on at least on my end playing. I didn't play in day two as well, so I don't know if like anything happened in day two at all. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, long judge calls are going to happen in pretty much every tournament at some point, so it's just kind of part of it. But um, And then one other thing we did want to talk about before we get into our first real topic was that there was an announcement after the tournament was all said and done. They kind of closed the show out with this. Uh, the first few regionals of the 2024 season were announced uh they announced tournaments in all parts of the world except australia so r.i.p australia i <laughs> uh, actually was like yeah i was talking about i was in the food court um playing games and stuff in the convention center and there was quite a few australian players there and they were all joking with each other like oh did you see all our regionals that got announced oh yeah we have so many tournaments to look forward to they were like all kind of just like <laughs> Drowning in their own pity, to be honest, to feel bad for the Australian players. But there were quite a few other tournaments announced. The first one being just four weeks after the World Championships. So it's going to be a quick turnaround between Worlds and the first tournament of the year. And that is going to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, September 8th through the 10th. I feel like it is usually like that seems like a, nor a standard time frame, though, I should be honest. I remember one. Yeah. Yeah. One year was two weeks. I remember it was literally like two weeks and the first tournament happened after Worlds. 
Um, but yeah, this is like a pretty standard time frame. I feel like is like four weeks. I think it's usually, well, yeah, it's around about four weeks. I feel like it's usually less than four, less than like last Baltimore. I think it was three weeks after London. So, yeah, I think you're right. Actually, um, yeah. so four weeks is actually probably on the <laughs> longer side. But yeah, Pittsburgh. We've never been to Pittsburgh before. I don't think they've ever had a maybe way back in the day, back in like 2010, they had a regional championships. I don't think so. Definitely though. not since I've been around. There's yeah. not been one there. So first time Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know. Um, if they've ever been, if I guess it's the Barcelona event in Europe is a special event. Um, yeah, because it's in Spain, and Spain has kind of like mm. I think we're pretty much all the any event that happens in Spain is a special event. It's not a regionals, okay. and I think it has to do with their like gaming laws. That's that's weird. Then the people were because like there's been the predictions about Pokemon Worlds being in Spain to kind of follow the trend of the video games, right? Because we had London. yeah, that was the only basis of that though was that oh the video game is based on Spain, the region, yeah. so. It must be in Spain. And it's like, okay, sure, maybe. No. <laughs> well, I mean, it still could be, right? Because I, I also, the other thing I heard someone say was, it was like the reason that we did have Japan and Japan, because it was supposed to be London, Japan, then Spain. So Japan has been kind of pushed forward a little bit. Um, or like, that's why it's not Spain this year, but it might be next year. Um, I guess it would kind of track. But yeah, if there is like gambling laws in Spain, then maybe not, I guess. Um, but <clears throat> I have no idea how to pronounce... Uh, Where's that one in Latin America? Curitiba? Curitiba? Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly either, but it's in Brazil okay, in so Latin America. Four, four North American regionals, um, two European events, one special event, one regional, and a regional in that place. And then uh, I guess, I mean, the, the thing I would personally comment on, we got Sacramento over Fresno, which is great. Sacramento has an airport, uh, a decent airport. And uh, yeah, so it'll be a lot better of a location coming earlier in the year this time. I did hear on Twitter, now it's not confirmed, that Team Northwest is not running Sacramento and that they got zero events this year. I don't know if that's true. Just saw someone say it on Twitter. No clue if that's true. We won't know for a little while, I guess, confirmation on that. Maybe we do have some kind of confirmation on who's running these events. I don't know if we do. I'd assume Pittsburgh is um, overload. Same with Toronto. Um, I don't think we, yeah, we haven't seen any confirmation, no organizer tweets or anything yeah. like that just yet. Nothing about registration for any of these tournaments just yet either. Um, so we don't know for sure. I saw that as well. I've got no clue whether or not that's true, but um, it would be interesting if that were the case, huh? I mean, I think it's, to be honest, I think it's kind of deserved. And maybe they'll get some more going to the season after this one to kind of give themselves a chance at redemption, maybe just a couple to see if they can actually you know, pull through. <clears throat> Fresno was ran pretty well. I will say that. I think I did say that on the podcast after Fresno. They did kind of show up for Fresno and they did run a pretty solid event. Um, and I don't know if it's something where it's just like they're kind of done running events or if it is a thing where it's like Pokemon didn't give to them because of all the complaints that they did have at their events. But um, I did say I would not be disappointed if they got zero events this season. So, so far I'm not disappointed, but we'll wait for some more confirmation on that. Um, like I said, I think Sacramento good location definitely a step up from from fresno especially in terms of airport i think it's like makes sense that we're not going to see a california regional somewhere like san francisco or l it's just too expensive like sacramento yeah. i think kind of makes sense it's still probably decently expensive in sacramento um but yeah it makes sense that we're not going to somewhere like uh san francisco or something like that toronto's is always sacramento a great oh go ahead I was just going to say Sacramento, like you said, at least has like a decent airport yeah. and it has proximity to like San Francisco. Right. So even if That's you, yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure there's some 
train or train like public transit option from San Francisco to Sacramento if it's like extremely cheaper to go there, right? Um, I don't think they're like crazy, crazy far from one another. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, we uh, are we are going back to Peoria though, yeah. which is uh, <laughs> that's the disappointing one to me here. And I heard I saw someone say on Twitter that whenever Anna, the host, announced that uh, Peoria was one of the regionals, the crowd booed. Which is, like, I don't know reasonable. if that's true or not. I was not in there, but I, I would well. not be surprised if that happened. Yeah, I was gonna say Toronto's a good location again. I think we're always gonna be going back to Toronto, which is solid. I like Toronto. But yeah, Peoria's it's just tough, man. There's no air. It's so hard to get there. Like you basically like I, the, I think the, a lot of people, if you weren't able to drive now, it is Midwest, which is good for a lot of people. Right. It's a really good location for the, the drive. The people who can drive like it, you, there's so many people who can drive to Midwest regionals. Right. So that's good that it's still a Midwest regional. Uh, but there's no airport. <laughs> Peoria has an, technically has an airport, but it's so expensive to fly there, specifically for yeah. me, but I think everyone pretty much has the same complaint. It's pretty reasonable to fly into Chicago, and I think a lot of people last season or last couple of, last couple of times we've had in Peoria have flown into Chicago and then rented a car and drove or like got picked up from a friend or something that's driving from Chicago. That's usually one of yeah. the go-to ways to get there, but even that's like a two-hour drive, I think, from Peoria. It's like 120 miles or something like that, so I just, I don't know, man. Like, bringing it back to like Indianapolis or something... I think would have been like a, a, a or even just put it in Columbus. <laughs> they could have just like put a regional in Columbus. I don't think anyone would complain. Like, yeah, it's way better I than think Peoria. That the, the, the venue must just be like incredibly high value as far as like how much space they have. Cause it was like a deep, like it was a big size venue. The venue itself, which one I mean, was to Peoria? be honest, a lot of them kind of just run together, to be honest. Yeah. But I don't the, – the ones that stand out as terrible, like you remember, right? Like Baltimore. Baltimore was terrible. That that event the center bunker. was awful. <laughs> yeah, the bunker. Like Peoria does not – like it doesn't stand out as being amazing, but it doesn't stand out as being terrible. So like the fact that there's a decent event center that is definitely way cheaper to rent than somewhere like Chicago – um, I heard someone talking about how like One Piece has already had two regionals in Peoria this year. Like in the last six months, there's been two One Piece regionals in Peoria. Like <laughs> it just has to be such a high value place to uh, from like an organization standpoint to I hold guess. the tournaments. I mean, yeah, I guess the, the the marketing team for the convention center, it must be uh, good. You know, they're reaching out to all these organizers, making, making them getting people to come to Peoria. I mean, it's probably good for the local economy too, right? Like, <clears throat> Peoria's thriving. Even man. though everything was closed <laughs> on like five o'clock on Saturday, Sunday night. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, and I think uh, this is is this the airport that I'm thinking of? Then the airport at Peoria is basically like it looks like a school. It looks like a high school. Um, someone mentioned that to me. Yeah, because I think I flew, if I remember correctly, I, think I flew to Chicago or somewhere more up north, and then drove down. But when I left, I left out of Peoria. And yeah, the the, the airport looks like a high school. Um, if it's the airport. It was so enough. long ago, man. <laughs> and then the last <laughs> event on here is uh, Lil uh, Regionals. For some reason, I thought Lil used to be a special event, but it, I looked it up. It was a special event back in 2018. It maybe was. So it's been past. regional. The last two times, it's been a regional. Okay. So, um, so yeah, and then Lil Regional. Yeah, so we got yeah. that's a decent amount of info. Quite a bit in advance. Okay. I, I assume we'll probably get the full schedule in a couple weeks. That would be my assumption. Like halfway maybe through July, we get the full schedule or most of it. Maybe they don't give it to us until like Worlds or a little bit after Worlds as well. But we have enough. Like, like, I don't think there's anything else going to pop up in this time frame, right? So we have, we know all the events until the end of October. 
Um, so throughout of September and October, we have all the events, which is like, uh, I mean, it's a good, a nice start. I, and I think this is like, I mean, this is reasonable. I feel like usually Pokemon doesn't come have any kind of reasonable time frame with information, but this seems like, I mean, getting it sooner than this would have been is like not not to say it's unnecessary, but this is like feels like on track, right? Yeah, I think a full two months ahead of time is plenty of time to plan like a domestic trip somewhere. And that's, you know, we're just over two months away from Pittsburgh. So I think yeah. it's a totally reasonable time frame. I think earlier is obviously generally just better, but you know, you can't be you can't be announcing things like a whole year in advance because stuff's not even finalized at that point, right? And this is so, one of those um, things, like on as far as like a marketing side, of th they want to tie these announcements to their big events, right? They want to end NAIC by announcing the tournaments for next season and so on. Like that's part of the that's part of the business scheme, whatever you want to call it, right? They want to tie those things together, right? So this is like one of those things where it's like, okay, if we could expect this every year for like a majority of the the initial part of each season to come out of NASC, that'd be cool to see moving forward, which I think makes makes like they make sense, right? They want to do the big announcement at the end of the thing, so on and so forth. Like they do the big announcement at Worlds, where Worlds is going to be next year and so on, right? I we do need to move on because uh, we've been chatting here for a little bit. But one more thing I do want to mention is just looking at this graphic, looking at this schedule. Um, none of these tournaments are on the same weekend, right? Uh, yeah. That happens a lot of the time where different parts of the world, there's tournaments happening the same weekend. Um, so it's kind of cool that they're all spaced out. Theoretically, someone could go to an event in Barcelona and then head to, you know, uh, Sacramento just a few weeks later or the one in Brazil, like wherever they want to go. It's kind of cool that that option exists for people. Um, or even if you're not someone who wants to go to all of them, you can go to one and then you can chill at home and watch the other one potentially. Yeah. Um, so be good I, for, I definitely like that. That'd be good for me. That's content right there. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that means they're maybe going to try and be streaming more, more, more of the non North American regionals will actually get streams. I wonder well, if that's... I think, did they stream, they streamed everything this calendar year, I think in Europe, right? Like well, no, that wasn't, did. that wasn't TBCI though. That was limitless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah limitless did. But I wonder if we were going to get, an official stream yeah i mean it's they're pretty cool they're basically official streams like they're limitless puts on a great show over there um, and i do think they get support from tpci for that i would i mean i if that's coming out of someone's pocket bro bless <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> i'm pretty like, sure they do i don't yeah. know what's like public or what limitless is set and stuff but yeah i'm not sure i haven't seen anything or i haven't really tried to poke around but i wonder if that's me that means maybe that's one of their it's also it would just be cool if that is like the way the whole schedule works out through that the next season is everything is but up like that, like one of the things I wanted to go into do next season was go to a European regional. I don't think it'll probably be Lille, but maybe one of the ones later in the season. Um, so it'd be cool. If, I mean, that it makes it better for me to potentially restream some of these events, which is cool um, for stream content. And then uh, also potentially to attend one of the European uh, regionals. But then I also just, yeah, like as a general like viewer or someone who wants to follow the game, it just it would be nice. It's kind of nice to have it all broken up instead of we had like weekends with like four major tournaments on them sometimes. So that'd be cool. But yeah, let's move on to uh, our next topic here. Like you're yeah. mentioning, um, which is uh, a player did get DQ'd from top eight uh, at NAIC. Yeah. So this is an interesting one. And uh, I, I, someone definitely cursed this, by the way, I, I feel like, I think it might've been Pablo or uh, said on the broadcast, like, I don't feel like we've had any controversies or anything like that happen so far this tournament, um, you know, partway through day two, because it felt like everything had been going so smooth and we're so used to like something ridiculous happening. 
And then what do you know? Here we go. Top <laughs> eight. A player gets disqualified from the event for marked sleeves. So we're going to look at his tweet and the picture of the cards in a moment. But I think first, one thing that we should talk about is just kind of the logistics of what happened here. So um, usually in the past, you know, we've covered stories before where someone was disqualified from top eight. Um, Usually when that happens, the person who would have been ninth gets bumped up to eighth place after the tournament in the final standing. So that person still gets like top eight prizing and top eight points, top eight packs, all that stuff. But they don't get to play in top eight. Normally what they do is like, so say, I think in this case, um, it was the second seed got disqualified. So the second seed plays the seventh seed. The seventh seed just gets a free win in top eight in this instance and then moves on to top four. But in this instance, and I think someone remind, you know, maybe if this has happened before, feel free to chime in in the comments. I think this might be the first time, at least that I can remember, where a player was disqualified from top cut and then the eighth place or the ninth place person was bumped into top eight and it changed the entire seeding of the bracket and different people were playing different people. Now first seed is playing someone who was eighth seed who wasn't even supposed to be in top eight. Um, second and seventh, you know, are two totally different people than they were previously. So it changed the whole bracket. Um, but basically because someone was removed from the tournament, eighth place w- was a different person and allowed to play in top cut, which I think is like, would you consider that a good thing, or do you like the way it has been done in the past? No, I think they should. If you determine, if you determine that a player was un unfairly obtained their placement in a tournament, mm-hmm. and it can be fixed to, uh, and it it should be fixed to its maximum extent, which is like if uh, with with Toby being DQ'd from top eight. Um, as long as the other top eight matches haven't started, right? If the top other top eight matches had started for some reason, then they it should just be locked up at that point, right? It's like this is it, we're going forwards. But because the to- other top eight matches hadn't started, the the ninth seeded player, because it, theoretically, like everyone in everyone else in the tournament was cheated at the tournament, right? Because there was there's a player who unfairly obtained an advantage in the tournament. Um, so therefore, and I'm not saying Toby did <clears throat> cheat, but I'm just talking about you know, uh, and theoretically whatever. If someone did. Yeah. Uh, if they DQ'd a player, if they think they had obtained a potentially an unfair advantage in the tournament, then they should be fixed to its fullest extent, which means the ninth seed should get to play in top eight if top eight hasn't started yet, which it hadn't. But that, that does mean that they'd finalize the standings and then had to go back in and re-finalize the standings, right? Which I guess has been probably the argument in the past is why they haven't done it. And, and the example... I'm pretty sure, like, in the past, it's always been, like, once the final standings are posted for top eight... That's it. We it's can't final. allow the ninth place person in. Well, that's what the announcement they always make, right? They always say, check your standings. Uh, well, they do say, when they do say that, they say, um, you'll have two minutes to check and uh, to confirm your standings. After that, they're finalized. Right. But I, I I assume Do Adobe, uh, Toby uh, was DQ'd at, during deck check, right? So they took Toby's deck, deck checked it, then DQ'd them, right? So that means that they were already like past that two minute point where they kind of make that announcement sometimes um, but i do think this is the correct way to handle this situation but in the past uh, and the example that we kind of uh talked about was uh salt lake city not this season but last season someone in top eight was dq'd and then andre chiasan was bumped from ninth to eighth but top eight hadn't started yet because they were dq'd in deck check for marked cards 
but they Andre did not get to play. They just got they just immediately got bumped from ninth to eighth. They were present at the tournament. I even told Andre. I was with Andre when it happened. I was like, you should go check if you can play now because they just DQ'd the eighth seeded person or one of the top eight players. Mm -hmm. You're going to go from ninth to eighth. You should go check if you have to play now. Just confirm. We suspected they probably wouldn't. Uh, And yeah, in the end, Andre did not play in top eight. But I think this is the correct way to handle it for sure. If you can, if the the top eight matches haven't started, the ninth player should get to play play in the top eight from there. Yeah, well, big congrats to Justin Brothers. That's a big break. You got a shot to play <laughs> in Top Cut when you you maybe uh, you know wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and yeah, like Azul said, we're not saying that we think Toby cheated or anything like that. We're just talking objectively about the theory of how this process should be handled should be resolved, when yeah. and if it inevitably comes up again, right? But yeah, so let's talk about, uh, I think from there, then let's talk about Toby's tweet. So I'll read off Toby's tweet here. <clears throat> Uh, as some of you may be aware, yesterday I was DQ'd from NASE after making top eight. As you can imagine, I am totally devastated by this action taken by the judges to go from uh, elation to deflation. Uh, <laughs> some bars right there in such a short time. It's hard to deal with. Uh, a few things I need to clarify. The reason I was DQ'd was that two of my three Iono that I play had damaged sleeves from gameplay. The judges said I could gain an unfair advantage by knowing which of my t- uh, which of my prize cards were Iono. They had also said that if they were two different cards, two less important cards, or if I played four Iono, then it would have been a less severe punishment. I was deck checked after round eight in day one and was told I had a perfect deck. Um, so the one thing I don't like, this is actually to like kind of talk on this right now while we're here. Um, this is part three of seven of the tweet, so we'll continue with the rest in just a second. Um, the judges told Toby uh, if there were two different cards, two less important cards. Now, I don't mean to uh, kind of bash on the judges here, I, I hate, I've heard, because I've heard this term before, less important or more important or how important the cards are. But, I, listen, the judges don't play the, how, how do the judges know how important a card is? Like, now, I mean, there is, there is an argument for knowing how important a card is, but, like, what if you mark, what if you, because like, especially once you're getting into the situation where Toby is, you know who you're, what you're playing against, you know who you're playing against, you can mark a card before you go into a certain matchup against someone, and that card could be super important for that matchup. I just think that's a really bad way to look at Mark. I don't know, maybe it is a good way to look at it, but I just feel like, I don't know, like, and I hate, like, hearing that term, because I feel like it's, that's subjective, and especially when you're in a sure. situation where Toby is, where you're like, you know who you're playing against, you know what they're playing, like, I mean, Ionos might just not be relevant at all going into that match. Brianna, so maybe you mark your, I don't know, what did, what did Toby even play? Toby was playing Arctina. Maybe you mark your, I don't know, they play a Spirit Tomb. Maybe you mark your Spirit Tomb. Mm-hmm. I guess you maybe yep. then you make that analysis. I don't know. I, I always, that always kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but it always just puts me off a little bit when I hear judges use that term, important cards. I was yeah, I don't know. It, make, it does make me wonder, like, you know, what two cards, I, if I was in Toby's shoes, I would have maybe asked the judge, okay, what two cards could have been marked for me to not be in this situation. Like anything that he plays multiple of the two of them are marked, right? Basically. So, I mean, is it, is it two ultra ball? Well, theoretically he gains an advantage because he knows there's two ultra ball in his prizes. If he's marking his cards, is it ultra two ball gets RPS V star? Is it two? Yeah. Is it two path to the peak? Yeah, you know, he's what I'm four saying. Of those. Yeah. Good against Guardian. Yeah, yeah, sure. This is what I'm saying. Like, how do you make that? I feel like it's really hard to make that analysis from like, I'm not trying to like bash the judges. The judges are not as good as the players though. Pretty much ever at the Pokemon TCG, right? But that's to be uh 
be assumed. So I don't know. I just don't like it when that term is used on the judging side of things. And it just it just irks me a little bit. I maybe just being a little bit uh, what's the term I'm looking for? A little bit paranoid about not paranoid. Uh, it's just maybe it's a little bit unfair for me to feel irked by that, but it does irk me when I hear that the judge uses that term of that. They they think that this card is important or not important, so that way it has an impact on a penalty. I don't know. It just irks me when I hear that, but I'm ready to move on if you are throughout the rest of this tweet. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, part four of seven. I received just before round 10 on day two. So they said they got deck checked on day, uh, round eight on day one, and their deck was fine. Then they received round 10 on day two. There was at least three players that can confirm uh, this as they watched me resleeve in the venue. After I won my winning into top eight, I was deck checked again. You always get deck checked going into top eight of any major tournament. As that is when they found the damaged sleeves. Uh, as I can, all I can say is that people who know me know me as someone that has uh, never nor will ever cheat. Uh, I have been playing this uh, this great game for ten years now. I've always loved it. Uh, I'm played with enthusiasm and integrity. Uh, the most depressing thing about this is that my reputation will now be tarnished. I can deal with the loss of points, money, and packs, uh, but to feel that I am seen as someone. Without integrity is the worst feeling ever. I will be in the venue today. If anyone wants to discuss it, I'm more than happy to. I look forward to seeing all my Pokemon family and friends in Japan and will pick myself up and go again. Uh, and then there's a picture here of the sleeves um, and where they're damaged. The damage at the top left corner of the sleeves. Um, yeah. And now when I first, uh, first when I looked at the sleeves, I was like, there's nothing wrong with these sleeves. But then someone pointed out to me to the top left corner, they are bent now this yeah. now I'm gonna go to uh, just go out here not really on too far of a limit I don't think this is not natural wear and tear of sleeves this is what happens when you push your card into the sleeve and then the the sleeve kind of uh, catches on the top of the card and creates a crease in the sleeve so this is not from natural wear and tear I don't know how this would ever naturally wear and tear on a sleeve I can't actually think yeah, in my head how I, it could I think um, it could happen if you know you're like someone who's while you're thinking you maybe like tap the deck or something like that while you're shuffling or like if your cards you know sometimes when you're playing the cards like slide up in the sleeve especially if they're new sleeves so you like set a, the whole deck down on the table and like kind of tap it down maybe if you put your finger on top a sleeve could get pushed in like this um, yeah, I think this is from, but yeah, yeah I, I will say I, just while we're on the topic of the mark on the sleeves, there's a lot of people in the comments of his tweet here saying like, I don't see anything wrong with these sleeves. And it is hard. <laughs> like you said yourself, you, you didn't notice it at first. It is hard to see. And I would also say this is probably a thing where like the picture itself doesn't do it justice. If you see these in person, like once you recognize this sleeve as well, like you've seen this type of damage on a sleeve before, right? Uh, uh, like you, you can picture well, exactly what. Well, that's what I'm saying. No, I don't think I have. Because <laughs> this is not natural wear and tear. That's what I'm saying. This is definitely from when they put the the card in the sleeve. When they pushed the card down, the top of the sleeve got bent on it. Because um, how... So I've like almost never seen this on a sleeve, I think, ever. The way I sleeve my deck to just kind of put out a... I guess it's a uh, like to, precaution for people to use moving forward. When you sleeve your deck, what you should do is when you put the card in the sleeve, you should only push it to the top of the sleeve. Do that with all your sleeves. And then you take the whole deck and you hold it by the sides and then you tamp it down on the table and then the cards will fall from the top of the sleeve to the bottom of the sleeve. And then you just check the top of your deck and you make sure every card fell down. Um, because when you do do the pushing method where you put the card, uh, push the card all the way into the sleeve, this is possible. And I'm sure this is where this damage came from. And I don't actually think Toby did it maliciously. I think this is just kind of an unfortunate, um, an unfortunate uh, damage to the sleeves that was caused when Toby did re-sleeve. And I don't think Toby was actually trying to take any kind of advantage from this unfortunate circumstance. And then it makes sense that, I guess it doesn't really make sense that the Ionos were together with this, uh, with the sleeving of it. The two Ionos is just kind of unfortunate that it was two Ionos 
uh, that both caught this this sleeve damage when receiving. Because that's what I'm saying. Like I, I've I mean, never so seen if a Toby's sleeve doing, damage like right, this. But let's think about this, right? Like, Go ahead. if Toby's sleeving all of his sleeves like this, would not more or more spread out versions of his sleeves look this way? I mean, it's hard to actually do that still. When you push a card in from the top mm-hmm. and you push it all the way down, it's still hard to mark it. So it's not a really surprise that only like two of the the sixty cards. So most of then that's why you usually don't see people with damaged sleeves when they do sleeve their deck that way, where they push the card all the way down on the initial push. Usually there's no damage on the sleeve because that usually doesn't happen. But as a precaution, you should do it the other way just because it can happen. I think that's literally what happened here. Because like I said, I've never seen a sleeve get naturally damaged this way. But once I saw it, I immediately thought, oh, it's probably because when he pushed the card into the sleeve, it caught on the card, uh, it it creased on the card on the top of the card. So that's why I'm I'm sure where this came from. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks like I mean, it's right there, like where the top of the card is like, yeah. before it gets to the top of the sleeve. So um, that would make sense as to, to how it happened. Um, but I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say, like, you look at these sleeves, you can tell once you like notice it. And then I'm Which, sure I'm sure it looks more uh, it, it's more visible in person. Probably. Yeah, I probably than, is. I would still have to uh, see it. A picture. I would still have to see it in person. Um, and it is pretty visible. Um, I do think like based on, I don't know, it's hard to, I don't know. I would have to see this leaves IRL still. So I don't even know how it calls for it, but I think the, I think the, the disqualification was probably unwarranted. I think maybe something like a game loss going to top eight was, uh, was probably the better call to be honest. Cause it doesn't seem like it was malicious. Um, player with it, no history, right. Has a clean record through the whole tournament and, um, not someone who I've ever heard anything about in the past, right? As to well, to be honest, though, like thinking about that a little bit more, it, it is tough call because to me it does not seem like natural wear and tear. But I know where it came from. But on as a judge, when you're making that call, I guess I have a little bit more understanding for maybe them going with the the penalty of a DQ because it it doesn't look like natural wear. I've never seen a card naturally wear and tear like that. Like I said, so like thinking about it that way from the judge's perspective. I guess I can be I can see it from their side a little bit more reasonably because of that. Um, but it does seem a little bit excessive. I think maybe a, uh, like I said, a game loss, maybe that's the route that should have been taken. Cause I think it, it, it still is on the players to, you know, make sure your cards and your sleeves are in good condition throughout a tournament, right? It's on the players yeah. to make sure of that. Right. And if you're going to be sloppy and not, uh, make sure your sleeves aren't in good condition or your cards aren't in good condition. And even if you aren't, uh, even if you aren't marking your cards or aren't taking advantage of cards that could be marked because of your, uh, being lazy and not uh keeping you know good care of your sleeves and your cards um you should still get penalized for that if that does come up right we shouldn't let allow players to be playing with half their deck like potato chips um and then you know be, be able to play throughout a tournament when half their prize cards are basically standing up on uh like you know what i'm saying <laughs> like standing up off the table and the other half art right like you still have to have some level of um self you guys know what i'm saying Mm-hmm. uniformity as well yeah like. so i don't know this one seems harsh now that i've kind of had more information kind of seen everything i think probably the dq was was too far maybe a game loss mm-hmm. um but once again like so I said, here's something to think about yeah i mean oftentimes a dq comes because um it's really like it's two things right they believe someone cheated or the possibility for them to gain an advantage was like extremely likely 
Um, and I think that's more the case here. And is that fair? Like, is it fair for someone to be disqualified from a tournament? Like, can a judge look at this and say, believe, like, okay, I don't think this person's cheating, but it is possible someone could have cheated in this way, so we should disqualify this person just to uphold tournament integrity. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yes, I think the answer is yes to that. I don't think this crosses that line, though, where they should have been DQ'd. But I think, yeah, if half of your deck is literally... Like, if half of your deck is, like, very obviously, like, I don't know, like, half the sleeve... Well, it doesn't have to be half the deck, though. It, yeah, okay, it, a couple it, cards, like, like, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, if, if, if enough Specific of the, cards, two specific important cards. I mean, yeah, it just kind of depends on the situation. There's, there is definitely a line where, like, if you're not uh, keeping your sleeves and cards in a good enough condition, uh, however many that is and into what condition that is, I don't know. But, yeah, even if you aren't cheating, even if they don't think you're cheating... There's a certain point where, like, your cards are in such a condition that, yeah, you should probably receive uh, penalties of, like, game losses, match losses, DQs. Um, but, I just, yeah, I don't think this quite crosses that line. One thing I was thinking about as well is, and I'm not sure if this was done. I would assume it probably wasn't, but I don't know for sure. Um, is should the judges, like, try to take time to go and do a bit more of an investigation outside of just looking at the sleeves, right? Do they ever go and, like, talk to Toby's previous round opponents and ask, okay, because, like, what is the potential advantage here, right? If Toby sees that there's a mark on his Iono and Iono gets set out in the prize cards, now he knows, okay, if I take this prize card, it's an Iono, so I could take it at an opportune time. Um... Maybe you go back to his previous round opponents and say, okay, tell us about your game with Tope. Tell us about your round whatever match. Tell us about your opponent. Did you notice anything out of the ordinary? And if none of the players like can point to, oh, my opponent did take their prizes in kind of like a weird way, you know, maybe there's maybe that that's a road worth going down to like just do a little bit deeper of an investigation instead of just looking at the deck itself. Maybe. I feel like that only ever leads to, like, the possibility of them having a harsher penalty, but it never leads to them potentially having a lighter penalty, right? Because you still want to work off the information that you have as the the judges at hand for the situation. But if, like, someone says, oh, yeah, they did do something really weird, you know, they drew their prize cards out of order, um, I mean, some people just then, do I that mean, that's, that's for some can, reason. That's, like, giving you the information that would lean towards, okay, this yeah, person did just, something sketchy. But, un but unfortunately, some people just draw their prize cards out of order. So we already, like, start with the fact that some people just naturally do that for whatever reason, so... Most people don't, though. Yeah, most like, people it's, don't. It's a very low percent. Um, and, you know, maybe just one other reason why you should just draw your prize cards in a normal, <laughs> inconspicuous order, but... It's a wild um, concept for some people, and uh, some people hate, <laughs> hate the idea that it is optimal to draw your prize cards in order, but it's... Uh... Uh, it is a thing. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I guess that could be okay. I don't know. It's like a lot more time to sing into it. I'm sure they already took a decent amount of time. Uh, I'm sure there was a discussion amongst some of the higher-up judges at the event already around the decision, right? Um, so I'm sure they oh, already sure, yeah. they took their time, looked through everything. There was a discussion. They talked to the player. Um, I'm sure Toby, I hope, appealed it to uh, to any extent that they possibly could. I would hope so. Um, and then I, you can go, I've heard and seen scenarios where the players, you know, ask the judges to, you know, prove that the cards are, are marked. I guess in this situation, they, they, they definitely are marked. It wouldn't be hard to lay out 10 cards and pick these two out of 10 probably. <laughs> so, right. I mean, they're definitely marked. Um, I guess the question is just like, to what extent do you think the player was taking an advantage or trying to take an advantage of the marks, to be honest? Um, but once again, I'd have to see them in real life too, because I think I did see a tweet somewhere where it was basically... This did not come up in Toby's uh, tweets here, but where it was like almost impossible to actually tell that they were marked. So once again, it would, I would have to see them IRL 
amongst other cards in the deck to see how how apparent it actually was to be able to even see the marks. Like I can see the marks now because I know where they are, but um, it's one of those things where again it's like hard for me to make too strong of a judgment call on it because of that. I haven't seen it myself IRL. Is it reasonable for like the level of tournament to lead to this being a harsher penalty? Like, is it possible that I, I think like if this happened at a league cup, it's never a disqualification, yeah, right? Maybe they have them resleeve. But at a league cup, this honestly probably just doesn't even get caught, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> do they deck check going to top eight at league cups? Sometimes they do. I've been to I've been to cups that do. I've been to cups that don't. So it just totally depends. Um, I'm sure you have as well, but yeah. um, yeah, like, I mean, at a regional, like, is it reasonable for like something like this to happen at a regional level and this becomes a standardized game loss in cut? And then if it happens at an international level, you know, this tournament level is a little bit more prestigious. There's more prizes on the line, uh, more championship points. So we have to be a little harsher with the penalties. Is that like a reasonable thing to happen? I, mean, I think penalties should be harder at I mean, I think regionals should be held to the same standard as ICs, or ICs to the same standard as regionals, whatever way you want to look at it. So I think that should be uniform across those two levels of tournaments. And I guess worlds should be about the same as well. I don't think like worlds should be held to a higher standard. Uh, Cups and challenges obviously should be held to a lower standard. Um, and but I think it is hard to like because like sometimes like I, I, yeah I, I the I don't I feel like. I don't know. A lot of people think that the penalties around marked cards have gotten out of hand. I've seen some tweets where people are just basically saying that there should be never like people getting DQ'd for like marked sleeves or potentially marked sleeves. I should say shouldn't ever lead to any kind of penalty. But that's that's stupid. People can definitely cheat and have cheated before by marking their yes. sleeves or marking their cards. So you have to like hold a standard to not allowing uh, cards to be uh, ex have excess amounts of damage to them or notability amongst the other cards to the point where their an advantage could be taken uh, by that. So it, there definitely needs to be a level upheld by the players themselves, but also there needs to, the, the penalties really shouldn't be too harsh because like natural wear and tear throughout a tournament, even throughout a game could be the cause for one card or two cards to all of a sudden be considered uh, or, or basically be considered marked, right? And it could happen in game one, like you could have checked your deck before going into round seven of a regional and in game one you play it when your cards gets like unfortunately marked you don't notice it but then you get like mid-round deck checked right and they take your yep. game before you go into get your deck before you get into game two and they're like okay one of your sleeves is kind of messed up um you know i don't think that should like always just like lead to like i mean it depends how messed up it is of course but i feel like that shouldn't always just lead to like a game loss or a dq or match loss right there i mean it's it's it's, it's a tough call right because you don't want to be have people being taken advantage of this stuff and if it becomes the norm that marked cards and marked sleeves never lead to dqs or game losses or bans then a lot more people are gonna cheat with it right because it'll just be like oh once they get caught they're just like okay you here's a warning um and obviously if it happens again it'll lead to a further punishment but then they just don't do it for the rest of the tournament right so like they just see how far they can get with throughout the tournament and then they just like stop doing it for the rest of the tournament so there still needs to be a certain level upheld of um card condition from the players but yeah. i guess where that point is seems to be a little bit too harsh right now yep yeah. i mean, I always want to think the best of people i don't know toby personally seems like a lot of people seem to think he's a pretty good guy and this is not something that um would be representative of what his character is like so i mean i think it's reasonable to think that toby was not being malicious here but regardless i think it's fair to look at these sleeves and say they are marked maybe the penalty is a little too harsh Maybe a game loss would have been a sufficient enough penalty, right? Even or even a match, a match loss. loss. Yeah, have they right? ever done a match loss in top eight? 
I and just be have. like, we're going to give you the match loss. You still get your top eight prizes, but um, you don't get to play something like that. I, I don't know. That that would feel kind of wonky to me, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, match loss is now an official thing in the rules. Uh, it is as yeah. well. So which was it was it really not a thing officially in the rules before? I just always assumed it was a thing, but it was just game losses. But you could just get two game losses, I guess. A double game loss. Yeah, I guess. Wait, no, a double game loss is when each player receives a game loss, right? Yeah, that's different. Yeah, I guess while we're on that, it's not something we wrote down to talk about. But the other thing we could talk about briefly is uh, time is now public knowledge. Um, yeah, an update to the rule book this past week in which it said at premier events, I don't know ex what I don't know the exact verbiage or whatever, but pretty much at premier events, uh, the time remaining in round is now public information, whereas in the past organizers would just put clocks up and it was kind of like on you to keep the time well, and some organizers wouldn't even have clocks yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? most most did not have I, apparently in europe it's a standard though that there's there's yeah. clocks everywhere and i guess based on the fact that there's clocks everywhere you could ask the judges how much time is left in the round and they would just tell you which is now what you can do you can ask a judge and they'll look at their watch and they'll tell you how much time is left it used to be they would tell you like uh less than 30 less than 15 less than five uh, but now they'll tell you the exact amount of time remaining. And hopefully this leads to all the major tournament organizers for regionals and special events just getting clocks and putting them in the venue or timers, ideally. Um, they always yeah, there have were them timers at ICs. up this weekend. Yeah. Well, ICs always have oh, ICs always have timers. But regionals rarely if ever do, but apparently a, they do in Europe. Like in Europe they they have timers at every regional, every special event, apparently, or something like that. But hopefully North America TOs adopt that. And then start having uh, clock or timers, ideally not just clocks, timers around the the event area, so everyone can just use those instead of. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to be asking the judges how much time is left towards the end of rounds, right? And you don't want that, so just get some timers, put them up in the venue. Otherwise, your judges are going to hate you for not getting timers because they're going to be asked every you know <laughs> by a bunch of people around you know the five minute mark as we get down to the end around how much time is left, how much time is left. Hey, excuse me, judge, how much time is left? So to avoid that, just get some timers. And I think with that, we can move on to our next topic. We are going to talk about in a little bit the results of NAIC, the actual tournament itself, the metagame, and the decks that ended up winning. Um, but in the meantime, kind of an interesting little announcement, a fan-made Pokemon TCG simulator. So this is coming from Dan TDM. for those who don't know, a massive Minecraft YouTuber who actually has a history with the Pokemon TCG. Um, I'm pretty sure back in like 2010 before or like 20, that time frame um, before Dan did Minecraft YouTube videos, he was a Pokemon TCG pack opening YouTuber and played the Pokemon TCG. Um, since then evolved into minecraft he's massive like 20 million subs i think on youtube something like that is it even more yeah 27 million subs on youtube um he tweeted a couple weeks ago and we didn't actually talk about this whenever he tweeted it i don't think but it was kind of a big deal um i thought we did he did we? Okay, I can't remember, but if you want to pull it up real quick, he tweeted and said, uh, does anyone that follows me know how or what it would take to create an in-browser Pokemon TCG sim, like the one on Limitless, but with two players, or what Play TCG Me was like back in the day? Basically, what Yu-Gi-Oh! has in Dueling Book for Pokemon. I want to make it slash fund it. Let me know. 
Um, so Dan, I think, is someone who's like lo- maybe loosely kept up with TCG or like he's just gotten back into it <laughs> after years. I know he played at EUIC yeah. um, in like had tweeted about how he was going to play in that tournament. Uh, so it looks like he's like trying to make waves and make something happen and recognizes, hey, <laughs> TCG Live is not cutting it. <laughs> we got to make something else happen. Uh, and it's kind of interesting that it's what it takes, you know, a wildly successful fan of the game, like someone who's successful outside of the game uh, is just like successful in life, has the money, has the funds to be able to put something like this together, uh, is willing to fund people to make something like this yeah and then that's the the project that they tweeted about when did they tweet about this the other day yesterday yeah yesterday yeah um proud to announce uh pokemon the pokemon tcg project twin leaf i tweeted about creating a tcg chip a tcg sim for pokemon and we've managed to assemble an insane team to be able to build one updates will be over at at twin leaf gg on twitter and the site will be at uh, will be at twinleaf.gg. It's a really exciting project for me, and I can't wait to show you what we've been working on. Uh, we're closer than you think. Um, and apparently the team is uh, Dan, Jay Gearhart, uh, the uh, the at or the underscore EPSD, uh, Jay Grimsey, and uh, C4 underscore TCG. So some familiar names for probably quite a few people uh, in the community, um, specifically Jay Gearhart. Uh, most people know Jake at this point, especially if you're on Pokemon TCG Twitter, you've seen mm-hmm. Jake's tweets. Um, so yeah, a lot of lot of uh, like I mean, it's cool to see the Pokemon community in general being heavily involved in this. Um, and it's not just kind of like you know Dan going out of the way to just like hire an outside source to kind of work on it. I think it's really cool that you know people who are players um, and then. Have even done other stuff in the game, like Jake Gearhart put together the the Poke Gear um, app site that I personally use for uh, making decklist images. Pokegear.app is what Jake Gearhart made to make a Pokemon TCG decklist images, and then Jay Grimsey uh, is behind the PTCG Live uh, web app Pokestats as well. Stats Live. Pokestats Live, yeah. Not PTCG Live. Yeah, (laughs) don't credit him with that. Yeah, (laughs) I don't think he wants it. (laughs) Pokey Stats Live. Um, so yeah, they've these are people who've already done things in the Pokemon TCG community, and then uh, yeah, the potential for this is big, and I'm excited to see what they what they end up coming up with for sure. Um, Yeah, and I think uh, it kind of sounds like from like just talking to people. Um, it's basically at the start, at least going to be limitless tabletop where you can see your opponent's board. Um, so I think it's probably going to be something where you have to like do everything manually, but, um, in theory, like if you're at that, like if that's all it takes, um, and you're still having to move the cards around and that is just like better and becomes the way to play compared to TCG live. Uh, man, I mean, it's like, why would anyone ever use TCG live if something like this existed? Um, and I think that's where people (laughs) are worried that there's like potential issues to arise for this project, uh, such as copyright strikes or cease and desist. I'm not a lawyer. Azul's not a lawyer. We don't really know how all this stuff necessarily works. There was a little bit of discussion happening online regarding this, but... 
I mean, I know like Pokemon Showdown is a thing that exists uh, for the video game. They have their own, you know, battle simulator for like the Smogon singles format. But on Showdown, they also do use the official VGC format. There's a separate ladder for that. And I mean, if you go to play dot Pokemon Showdown dot com right now or play dot Showdown dot com, maybe um, it'll tell you how many people are online. And it's generally, like, at any point, um, hang on, I typed in the wrong address. But at generally at any point, like, there's, like, thousands of people, like, tens, like over 10,000 people online. It's just a lot. I wonder how many the the game has concurrent, like, on the ladder. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I just, yeah, it's play.pokemonshowdown.com. 20,000 users online. Right now? Yeah, right I now. I look up how at... many people are playing... It says 2,200 active battles. You can look up Scarlet and Violet. Oh, I don't know if you can. Oh, like, oh, you mean like the actual video game? No, no way, right? How would I look that up? <laughs> Google it, maybe it'll tell you. <laughs> Just okay. try. Yeah, Dillinger put out a tweet. Uh, very exciting project to hear about, but I'm worried the amount of work being put in is just to be torn away due to legal issues, which I think seems reasonable, right? It seems reasonable that Pokemon, Big Pikachu could come after them. Uh, plus, curious about how how cost uh how cost will be managed hosting service to allow concurrent pvp uh sessions isn't cheap and you can't make money off this either yeah like there's no way they could make money off this right um because then pokemon could definitely come after them so uh but maybe they wouldn't maybe they wouldn't come after them you never know um but it doesn't seem like i mean i don't think there's a way for i don't think showdown uh there's any way that they monetize it i'm pretty sure could could Pokemon? I see. I wonder if Pokemon could just shut down Showdown if they wanted to. Oh no! I mean, I'm on Showdown right now, and there's an, an ad label. So I mean, they're not selling the service, but they're just placing ads. I guess that's a little different, right? That's it. Chip just leaked. Now Showdown's gonna get shut down. You can jank, bank Chip. Pokemon had no idea. Because <laughs> everyone over. I promise uh, you, Pokemon has an idea. I promise no, everyone you. Everyone at the headquarters has ad block on, so they didn't know until you. <laughs> they would go check in every now and then, but they all have ad block on, so they didn't see the ads. <clears throat> uh, but yeah definitely very exciting I hope it works out I hope it's you know it has to be functional to a level that you'd want to that it is like more enjoyable than PTCG Live so it still has to be pretty automated that's going to be a big part of it and I think that is definitely what they're going for here it's supposed to be like a pretty um, automated way to play the game um, compared, like unlike something like the Limitless Simulator or the like Tabletop Simulator um, which are both great tools for playing the game Um Overall, especially now that we only have live or like testing new sets ahead of time, both those are decent tools. But it would be nice to have something that's a little bit more automated, especially when it comes to like potentially like streaming and stuff. And especially if there's like a real ranked ladder to play on as well. Um, you know, it could be a great way to like play the game and make content around as well. So I'm excited for that as someone, you know, who makes content and streams and stuff like that. If it's just a better way to play the Pokemon TCG than Pokemon TCG Live, then I mean, I'm down to be honest. <laughs> I'm down. So. Uh, also, I think I saw someone tweet the other day that there's potential for like old format stuff happening on that as well, eventually, maybe. So that's also something to like look forward to. I mean, I think you can. Can you do old format on Play Limitless? I don't know why you couldn't, because it just goes by what card well, you input it, as long as they have I, it in their database. I mean, you'd want stuff to be automated, right? Like, I'm not trying to sit there and drag and drop everything. I mean, it would be better than TCG Live still. I mean, I currently would rather play TCG Live than simu- uh, than Tabletop or than Limitless Simulator. That's what I'm saying. Like, it has to be more automated than, or as automated as. There's some mm-hmm. stuff that is automated on 
Limitless, uh, the Limitless simulator, but not to the extent of PDCG Live. Sure. Um, that's what I'm saying. It needs to like, it needs to be to that extent if we're if it's really trying to be like a big, you know, have like a decent player base on it and people actually playing the game. Because um, it's all just drag and drop. We already have kind of drag and drop stuff to work with, so it needs to like be like a step above that. Um, <clears throat> hopefully. But um, yeah, I mean, excited for the project. Hopefully it. Uh, Hopefully it uh, it does well, and hopefully it does not get shut down. That's like the the biggest thing to potentially be afraid of is it getting shutting down. But hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, and uh, who knows? Maybe it could be one day as big as as something like this uh, showdown, like the the video game has. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be okay as long as they're not trying to monetize it, which I can't imagine they are. And to the like point of talking about how. Uh, expensive it is for like the server space and stuff i i think like from what dan's original tweet said he kind of like understands that's the situation and he just like is down you know he's like i i love the game want to fund it that's like like what my read is on this at least but um i don't know could be different i'm sure they'll try to find a way to make it more feasible um and maybe just like imprint ads is like enough to keep the servers up and running who knows We will see. Uh, but moving on, just got to give a big shout out to Dragon Shield for being the sponsor of the Uncommon Energy podcast. Dragon makes Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and much, much more. I was rocking. I rocked the Ivories this weekend at. Uh, I rocked. I did resleeve at like. Round. Is that a dual mat color? No, just a mat, I believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I prefer the mats overall. But yeah, I rocked the ivories. They felt really good this weekend. The ivories are good. Um, I did resleeve at some point. I just like sometimes I just get a feeling like I I, I ended up using the ivories as like I resleeved at like round six or something. It's just like sometimes this I just need us to switch the sleeves. <laughs> I forget what you're I way too off paranoid with. about this. Yeah, I probably am. Probably a little bit too paranoid. But uh, ended up on the ivories for the the second half of or the tail end of my tournament run, which wasn't enough to give me to day two, but. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the ivories felt good. So yeah, big shout out to Dragon Shield as always um, for sponsoring the podcast. You can find them over at web. <clears throat> you can find them over at their website, dragonshield.com/webshop/us or EU, depending on where you're from in the world. And of course, they're available pretty much everywhere: local game stores, Walmart, Amazon, you name it. They're there. So be sure to check them out. And with that said, uh, moving on to guess that flavor text, and it's Chips Week to pick. A card for me to guess. Guess that flavor text is where one of us picks a card, reads the flavor text on the card, and then it's up to the other host to try and guess which Pokemon that flavor text belongs to. Um, if you get if you get it right without using a lifeline, you get four points. For each lifeline you use, you do get one less point if you guess it. And the lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name from the card. Chip, I'm ready. Are you ready to give me a flavor text? I am ready to give you a flavor text, and this is going to be an interesting one. Definitely don't think you're going to get it, but some of our listeners at home stand a chance. All right, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Within its rugged shell, its cells have begun changing. The shell peels off the instant it evolves. So it goes. Okay, yeah, give it to me one more time. Within its rugged shell, its cells have begun changing. 
The shell peels off the instant it evolves. Man, I really have no clue on this one. <clears throat> I'm thinking of Pokemon with shells. I'm thinking of some kind of water Pokemon. So I'm thinking of like Shelder, maybe. And then Shelder evolves into Cloyster, I want to say. But then doesn't also um, Huntail and the other fish Pokemon both evolve from... I don't think it would be that. Huntail and that other Pokemon both evolve from is it Clam Pearl, I believe. But that one, yeah, something like things with shells. It's But it's not like a... First of all, we said shell, and I thought of like turtle Pokemon, but I don't think it's like a turtle Pokemon because they kind of evolve with their shells. The shell's not peeling off. So I'm going to need some lifelines here. So let's go with what stage the card is. It is. It's kind of interesting because the flavor text gives you a little bit of a hint to the stage, right? Because you know it evolves. Oh, yeah. So I know. But I guess I. I so do... you know it's not a stage two, oh. but it is a stage one. Why couldn't it be a stage two? Because stage twos don't evolve, bro. They evolve from a. The, this Pokemon. What is the what is the flavor text again? The last line says the shell peels off the instant it evolves. Okay, so it's so a that means this Pokemon one. evolves. Okay, so but it's, it's, a, it's stage one. Oh, well, now you gave me a lot more than I <laughs> expected. So it's a stage <laughs> shut up, one. Chip, that, shut up, Chip. <laughs> so it's a stage one that evolves to a stage two Pokemon that has a shell. I'm still pretty stuck on this one to be honest. Now I'm even like more stuck because then I was about to like I was probably just about to guess Cloyster to be honest, but. Now I actually <laughs> don't know what to guess. The shell. Um, so we have the stage. So it's a stage one. Um, what set is the card from? It is from Diamond and Pearl Secret Wonders. Dude, I have no. If it was gonna be Diamond and Pearl, maybe Secret. I don't even. Rem, I do not remember what came out of Secret Wonders. Um, to, that's the set that Telepass Gardevoir is in. I don't. I still don't think that helps me at all. Telepass Gardevoir is in there. That's still quite a bit before my time as well. That's like, uh, I I mean, I played when that card was legal, but the set came out before I started playing or about the time I started playing. No, it was before I started playing. It came out in like 2007. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's way before I started playing or a little bit before I started, a couple years before I started playing. Um, I don't know. I'm still, just give me an attack name. Maybe this will help. Probably not. Protect Charge. Protect Charge. Dude, I have no clue what this is. I'm trying to like, all right. So he's got to go with a guess at this point. It's got a shell. Stage one evolves to a stage two. Uh, maybe the stage one of Agron. I forget what it's called. It's Aaron. Something Agron. I forget what the stage one is called, though. What is the stage one called? Aaron. What did we decide we would do in this instance? I forget. Aaron. Should I tell you what the Pokemon's name is that you're thinking of? <laughs> oh, it's Pupitar. You're going with Pupitar? I'm Pupitar. It's locking Pupitar. That's all. Dude, that is a super solid guess. A super, Ooh, super solid is. guess. <laughs> but that is incorrect. That is incorrect. It is not Pupitar. Uh, what was the word you kept saying over and over again within its rugged shell? Shell. The Pokemon is Shell Gone. What is Shell Gone? What is Shell Gone? Yeah, which one? What is that? What does that evolve into? Salamence. 
Oh, that yeah. Okay, I forget what does Shelgon look like. It, it's like a raw. It looks like a ball, right? Pull up the card. It's yeah, Shelgon from Secret Wonders. Shelgon. It's a colorless. When dragon before the dragon type existed, oh. dragon types were colorless. Wait, which one was it from? Secret Wonders. Mm-hmm. Focus gotta... energy and protect charge as the attacks. Focus energy on honestly would have probably been the better. Like that would have been harder for me. I was trying to help you out, and I wasn't thinking you were going to get there. (laughs) Shelgon from Secret Wonders. I don't even remember. Honestly, I'm impressed you got to to Pupitar, though. That was like uh, genuinely, that was a solid guess. Yeah, yeah. I like. I I started like just started thinking about stage ones from that time, and I was like, okay, well, there's. What was was I going with initially? I was like, what does Aaron? What does what does Aaron evolve into? I I wonder if any of our uh, listeners were thinking. Um, Metapod. That was something I was thinking that, or like mm. Kakuna, that someone could think about that because its cells have begun changing, like Metamorphosis, right? The yeah. Bee Drill or the Butterfree, anything like that. That would have been a reasonable guess as well. I didn't even think about those Pokemon, to be honest. Show. Let us know if you got it down in the comments down below. This one was probably pretty hard. Azul didn't get it. Let us know if you were able to get it right this week and from there azul here we go let's talk about it n-a-i-c we've already talked about it quite a bit but uh let's talk about the actual tournament results itself um starting off with the meta share before we talk about like the decks that won or got top eight and looking at the meta share chart we see gardevoir up at the top to no one's surprise 24 percent it was kind of right around, uh, what was our over-under? What do we say? Over-under 22, we both said over, so we got that correct. Yeah. Um, but not, like, the dominant 30% that we ever saw from Lugia, which I don't think anyone really thought it was going to get that high, but 24 is still a lot. Yeah, 24 is a lot. Uh, Lost Box, I thought, would be a little bit more popular, only at the 13 there, and then everything else from there is, like, I guess Chi and Pao. I wouldn't have predicted Chi and Pao to be, I guess, maybe a bean on the graphic. Actually, you know what? To be honest, that's not that big of a surprise. I think our uh, my group's prediction was eight percent for Chi and Pao going into the tournament, um, and then Arctina being there isn't also a big surprise either. Muse at its solid around ten percent predictable. Uh, Lugia being at twelve seems reasonable. Yeah, I thought Lost Ark would be a little bit more popular, but besides that, this seems pretty reasonable. Um, I'm a little surprised about the Arctina, to be honest, because I would have thought. I mean, and based on what we had said on the podcast as well, we felt like. Arcturaladon was the better yeah. and probably going to be the more popular Arceus deck. I feel like it's just like it's just not. Maybe I do. I don't think the deck is like because sometimes decks are just like a little bit uh, unorthodox or more difficult, and that's why they're not picked up. I don't feel like Arctur Umbreon falls into that category too much. There's some nuance with some plays in certain matchups. Arctina is more straightforward, but not to like yeah. the extent to like a an extreme extent compared to Arctur Umbreon. Um so yeah, I guess I kinda yeah, but, but I feel like that has to be the reason why like people definitely favor the Arctina a little bit over the Arctur Umbreon. It's a little bit more straightforward for sure. Um but yeah I do think the the Arctur Umbreon is definitely the better of the two decks. And I think that kind of showed I guess in the overall the end results of like the uh, the tournament at the end of the day. Um and then moving into day two, Gardevoir actually dropping just a little bit, not too much. Yeah. 24% down to 22, really less than 2% change here. Um, but, you know, I mean, in the times that Lugia was the best deck in the format, we would see like 30% day one up to 45% day two, yeah. right? So 
Uh, are you surprised to? I, I would have, and I would have expected something similar, not like that high of a jump, but I would have expected like that mid twenty percentage, mid to low twenty percentage, jumping up to close to thirty percent day two. That's kind of what I would have thought. Um, and I will say, like Gardevoir was still the most popular deck, obviously, and it still performed very well. But I don't think it was as top heavy as I would have predicted, and I think as a lot of people would have predicted as well. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I don't think it's like that unreasonable that it did kind of drop. Usually, I mean, that's I feel like it's what you usually see from the deck that is the most the most known best deck in the format slash pop most popular deck is we usually see it drop off a little bit. Um, I think generally, but I mean stuff like Lugia, I guess, was maybe a little bit of an anomaly. Was the exception, right? yeah. Um, Lost Box gained a little bit of steam going into day two. Uh, and then Arc Darmbron did make a showing now on the on the graphic going to day two, um, by quite a bit. And Chimpao held its place as well. I mean, it dropped yeah. down one spot, but like the fact that it's still up on the graphic, you know, it's different than Maridon, where Maridon was consistently on the day one graphic and then absent from day two. <laughs> yeah, Chimpao held its own, and I mean that's I think seen in the results as well. Um, overall, like had a decent showing, I think. A little bit better than maybe people would have expected. Yeah, there's like three in top 32. And then Mew, of course, holding its around 10% number. Like Mew is almost like, it's like predictable at this point. Like <laughs> around 10%. It's like, it's, it's like highs are like around 15%, but it's usually around 10% day one. And it's usually around 10% day two. Lugia also only dropping a little bit there from the 12 to 10. Um, didn't have a great showing overall in the tournament though, as far as like the end results go for it. Um, and then yeah, Arceus Dralon, uh making its appearance on the day two graphic as well. So, um, which, uh, kind of makes sense a lot, especially alongside like our predictions where we like, were talking about it, kind of talking it up as the better of the two Arceus decks. Yeah. I mean, and that was shown in the final result as well as Ian Rob did take Herc Duraladon Umbreon to the finals. But I think we would be remiss if we did not start when talking about results by talking about the fact that Cyrus Davis won the event with Intellian VMAX, Rapid Strike Urshifu VMAX. So, I mean, this is a deck that's definitely been on everyone's radar, but I don't think anyone would have predicted that this is the deck that would have won the tournament. Um, I mean, I think if you look at the matchup spread for this deck, it's pretty favored into Gardevoir, pretty favored into Lost Box, but it struggles against Mew. It struggles against Lugia. And, I mean, maybe does okay against Arceus. I feel like it's Arceus Duraladon matchup is probably slightly unfavored. Uh, Ian did not draw super well in game one, or obviously game three of the finals ended on turn two. I don't know. Azul, your thoughts on the Intellian Rapid Strike Urshifu deck, making it all the way to the finals and getting the win. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is definitely good against, like, <clears throat> it's good against the two most popular decks, right? Gardvor and Lost Box. Um... So I think you're definitely favored against those two, but then you do start to come up again. You come up a little bit short against a lot of the fringe matchups. And we actually even see here, uh, Cyrus didn't even play any out for the Mew matchup. No Drapion, no Spiritomb, which is usually something you see in this deck. Um, is you see the Drapions, or maybe you see the Spiritomb um, nowadays. But yeah, Cyrus is being like, all right, I'm just going to hope everyone else takes care of Mew. Uh, and I'm not going to play any tech for it. I mean, there was a lot of Spiritomb, right? Um, like I think even Ian played it in the, the Arc to Raladon. I played it in Guardi personally. Um, I saw it in a bunch of other Guardi lists as well. Even Guardi without Spiritomb is fine against Mew. So 
don't think it was a bad bet to be like, all right, everyone else will take care of Mew for me. I'm going to go ahead and just like, you know, hope to dodge him. So I think it was like a pretty reasonable bet. Just have a good match yeah. against the top two decks. But yeah, I think that the Arc to Umbreon matchup, I'm not too sure. I think Cyrus said in their interview after top four, they thought the matchup was favorable if they go first. So it was like, it was a, it was like a close matchup. So it basically comes down to who goes first. Um, I didn't watch the finals, but like you said, you said Ian just kind of drew poorly in the two games they lost, but the game that they kind of set up and got going, uh, they won. It does seem like it would maybe be tough, a tough matchup, because yeah, you need like you can use the Urshifu early to deal with the Arceus, but then if it's two Duraludons after that, like you can attack with Inteleon with the basic waters, but it is kind of a you have to work to get your Inteleon set up, right? You do have Melanies, you do play six basic water energy. But, you know, it's a lot harder to attack with your basic energy as opposed to just the Rapid Strike energy. So, Yeah, so just a quick little recap of the finals for anyone who hasn't watched it. I would recommend watching it. It was a pretty good, uh, exciting finals overall, even though the Game 3 was like a pretty, you know, unfortunate lopsided type result. Not really like an exciting game in that. It was an exciting like hype moment, but it was not like premier gameplay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I saw the clip of so the, like in, the in, in game one just to recap quickly for anyone in game one ian went first won the flip went first which was huge in the matchup i think both players yeah. felt like ian started duraludon attached an energy passed that was it cyrus got pretty set up i think got three intellion v into play and two remoraid and alakazam maybe it didn't get alakazam down right away but cyrus had pretty much everything they wanted um and then ian evolves duraludon pass doesn't even attach an energy. And then Cyrus kind of does a few things, attaches energy to Intellion, and they go back and forth a little bit. It's a little clunky. Ian eventually... I don't remember exactly what happened. At some point, Cyrus did Iono Ian. It wasn't until Ian, like, did something, though. I think it was, like, Ultra Ball down in Arceus, and then Cyrus played an Iono, I think, which I was I see, I think seems reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. Um... Because, you know, Ian hasn't been playing cards, so it's reasonable to think, okay, one of the clunky cards in his hand is probably an Arceus or, or a V-Star, right? Um, so eventually we got to that point, and it ended up being, like, Cyrus was pretty ahead, but you can see how she was just, like, even though got so many free turns in the beginning, she was just, like, a couple turns ahead. So if Ian had drawn a little like just a little bit better i think ian probably would have won game one just mm -hmm. based on the way the the board kind of developed in game two ian went first had a much better setup had an active arceus v and cyrus um went for i think the correct greedy play like we called it a little greedy but i think it was like one of those instances where it like seems greedy but it's the right play uh because she only needed a tower of waters to pull this off had uh Luminion for Melanie and Urshifu V had the Rapid Strike energy. So if she just gets um, the Tower of Water, she gets 100 Furious Blows, KO the Arceus, and just pretty much instantly wins the game. Didn't get it, though. Sets up. Game goes pretty long. Ian ends up winning. And then Game 2, I don't know if you've seen Game... Or sorry, Game 3. I don't know if you've seen Game 3 or not, Azul, but... Cyrus goes first, starts a Rapid Strike Pokemon, benches an Urshifu and attaches a Rapid Strike Energy to it and passes. Ian starts Arceus, attaches Double Turbo, Trinity charges one energy to the active, and Cyrus finds the energy and the Tower of Waters to 100 Furious Blows for the game. Yeah, I'll definitely go back and rewatch. I plan to, like, review the whole tournament this week, so I'll see it, but yeah. 
if you don't know the ins and outs of that one it seems like it's probably pretty close because yeah like urshifu lines up really well into arceus earlier on but like the the Inteleon deck is just like not i feel like it's not super good about using urshifu aggressively like you know, there's no boss in the deck right? yeah, there's no so, boss like... well, so you can't even pick so they open like a one prize or you kind of have to go through their active initially so um yeah it definitely seems like it could be close though because like yeah that uh, initial power or like a turn two gmax rapid flow KO the Arceus or punch the Arceus V-Star off to the active plus hit one of the Drowdon Vs on the bench just for 120. Like, that's pretty pretty impactful damage to, like, have available. So, doing something like that turn two if you go first. So, it, it does seem like it's maybe a big deal about getting those Drowdons evolved before the Urshifu can kind of sprinkle some damage on them. Um, also seems like a pretty big deal. So, going first seems like a kind of a big deal in the matchup. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure who's, like, overall favorable. Like you said, the matchup was... Uh, or the games were pretty lopsided one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, game two was was like a good, solid game, I think. But yeah. Ian went first, right? So, um, yeah, overall, it, it was super exciting. Uh, a great win for Cyrus. Congratulations to her on the victory. And uh, <laughs> I, I have a little insight, I guess, because like I was backstage and I did the trophy presentation with Anna, the host. And... Um, you know, Cyrus had the exciting moment, had the interview on stage, and then she came backstage and it was just like having to sit there and catch the breath for a second. She had her hand on her chest, breathing in and out, slow breaths, because, I mean, I just can't even imagine the the whirlwind of um, not just winning in an IC, but, like, winning it in, like, there's a difference between winning a long, hard-fought game and then winning, like, a super fast game like that. It's like you're buckled in, ready for a long game, and then all of a sudden you're the champion 60 seconds er later, way, like, 30 minutes before you would have expected it to be possible, you know? Yeah. So pretty cool, exciting moments for sure. Um, but Cyrus did, of course, beat the Arc Duralid on Umbra, and we thought this was the better way to play Arceus on the weekend. And there's not really anything, like, standout-ish about Ian's deck, I don't think. It's yeah. pretty straightforward, pretty consistent. Um, Ian, I think, is probably, you know, one of the top players in North America. So um, it doesn't really matter what he plays. Like, he's probably going <laughs> to have a shot to do well, right? Um, it is interesting that he chose to play this deck to me. I would not have thought that this was a deck that would have been uh, on his radar as, like, a, a potential play. I don't know. Ian kind of plays a lot of different... I mean, last year, Ian played Flying Pikachu, Inteleon, Arceus, Beedrill, so... Okay, um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> basically the same thing arc pile back-to-back <laughs> -back years with the exact same archetype from from ian a little bit better this time around though of course um yeah i mean yeah we thought the deck was solid. it's one of those decks that i just have not had any personal time to like play with at all so i'm definitely gonna be trying to pick it up this week though and play some games with it especially like leading up to worlds get some games in with this this deck and just see how it how it flows and how much i actually uh like it or dislike it because it's definitely one of those decks that i've had no time uh, basically zero games on so um but yeah i'm not a big i mean but like speaking out the speaking about the deck in general uh there was three arceus umbreon decks in top eight and there would have been four right that's what toby was playing right was arceus around on umbreon no he... toby was playing arceus giratina oh okay okay so there was still three arceus umbreon decks in top eight uh katron was not playing the duraladon so we can go over these lists first here uh actually i'm not sure how different labella's list was um, yeah, the big difference is Labella had the Panic Masks. And a Luminous Energy. Yeah, and a Volo. And a Volo. Yeah, so a lot more situational cards. No Path to the Peak, 
supporter lineup is pretty similar. Uh, neither of them were rocking the Halucha, which had become like a pretty big card in the deck, I feel like, leading up to this tournament. It was played in a lot of builds to help with just like against Lostbok, Dragonite's the best attacker, Dragonite spreads damage to your own bench, Halucha pings, plus Radiant Alakazam, damage manipulation from the damage that Dragonite puts in play, allows you to get extra prize cards on Comfy, stuff like that. Uh, no Halucha from either of these players. Still has the Alakazam plus uh, Choice Belt combo to KO the Dragonite, but uh, no Halucha for those extra Comfy prizes or more aggressive Comfy prizes uh, later on. So a couple different things, but pretty similar builds, right? Um, from the Bella. And then the Katron build was a little bit more wild. No Duraladon. Did have the Halucha. Had a Slacking V. Had the Flying Pikachu. Had the Metacham. Uh, yeah, the Metacham plus Halucha. They were definitely out for blood in the Guardi matchup. That's for sure. Because those two, that extra little bit of sprinkle of damage uh, from the Halucha or even the loop from the Metacham can make a big difference up against Guardi to uh, get those extended extended turn knockouts i don't even know what you want to call that but more knockouts than you should be able to get in one turn i guess is like the plan yeah this deck is wild it was pretty cool to watch play out um katron actually had a two prize penalty lose him game number two in top four he won game one i think he was going to lose game two even if the two prize penalty hadn't happened so it maybe was even just like better for him that there was more time on the clock right um, but it was just one of those things where uh, he was playing the Japanese sleeves, which are a little stickier, I think, than just kind of the typical North American sleeves that a lot of people use. Like, and I mean, when I say Japanese sleeves, I mean like the uh, the like art sleeves, which look really good, but they're just like a thicker, uh, stickier plastic material. So he goes to draw for turn, and the second card sticks to the other card, and it just flips over onto the table. Yeah. And it was kind of a <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate. I don't want to call it funny, but it was kind of a funny moment because Katron, just being someone who's played for so long, uh, recognized the situation. He saw the card flipped over, put it on top of his deck face up and like they were talking to the judge. And it was about two seconds after they looked over and talked to the judge that Katron just picked all the cards up and went to the next game because yeah. he just understood. Yep. I'm going to get a two prize penalty. Uh, Rowan at the time only had two prizes left. So the game was just instantly going to be over. So he's like, yep, let's just go. No reason to worry about waiting for the ruling. We'll go to game three. Yeah, just go next. Get it right into it. Um, so this one a little bit heavier on the like disruption with the Iono. You don't really have like the big attacker of the Duraldon. So a little bit heavier on disruption for the Lost Box matchup or even the Guardi matchup. But there's so many cards in here for the Guardi matchup. The Halucha, the Medicham, Alakazam. Lost um, City. Yeah, so the biggest difference is just, like, no Duraludon, right? But you do have the Flying Pikachu, so, like, your... I guess, theoretically, Lugia matchup is harder, but Lugia does struggle against Flying Pikachu as well. Flying Pikachu mm -hmm. one-hit KOs uh, Lugia, and then can't be attacked by any of the basic Pokemon. And none of the Lugias anymore are playing the single-strike Urshifu. So... Yep. I mean, if you just get Flying Pikachu set up, it can usually, like, prize race the rest of the game for you from there sometimes. Um, as long as so the slacking videos. just in here is like a big hitter, you think? Like just something that can come in and do a lot of damage? My guess would be moral support from the slacking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did hear about a funny play. I don't know if it was Katron or someone else who was playing the deck, but they turned two uh, double turbo into double turbo and KO to Lugia. Um, so that's kind of cool. 220, oh my <laughs> yeah, gosh. Yeah, just 220 KO the lone Lugia V in play. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what... I'm sure it trades into some matchup well, right? I'm not sure what the matchup is. Maybe mirror match? Ooh, it does have that 230 HP. Duraldon can't KO Yeah, Yo, what if there's, like... What if there could be tech? just, like, a quad slacking turbo deck with, like, 
Double Turbos, Energy Lotto, Melanie, Path to the Peak, Bravery Charm, give it a lot of HP, and just, like, dunk on stuff. Fortress? Fortress, yeah, load it up, yeah, yeah. And keep yourself on the even prize cards as well. Well, But then you gotta play the little, the Pineco, and that's, like, an odd prize your opponent can take for the ability. Oh, yeah, Path. Yeah, Path, we're chilling. Yeah, sure. We're, like, a a Disruption 1-hit KO active type deck. We gotta work Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it'll work out. I don't know. That could be cool. I'm only just two sixties. You like have to like you're not actually even KO an Arceus unless you have like a choice belt involved as well. Vmax yeah. is also kind of sit out of range. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure where the slacking really slots in into certain matchups, but another Arceus Umbreon, you know, just kind of that. It's like an aggressive package, right? The Arceus Umbreon turn two, gust something up, knock it out with Lost City. One thing I wasn't, I was kind of surprised to not see um, any of these Arceus players play because I had thought it was really good in Arceus decks. Is actually the Avery. Um, because Avery's really good against Guardi, like turn two, turn one, turn two. Uh, you can Starbirth for it, so you can go like, like you can even do like a play where you go like Starbirth plus Escape, or for you can go like an Avery plus Escape Rope turn, and then you like they have their Mew and they're active. You take two Pokemon off their board, and then you Escape Rope KO another Pokemon off their board. Um, so I thought we would have seen a little bit more of that from some of these Arceus decks. That's like one thing that I thought was like pretty good in Arceus decks, but I guess not. I did see some Tina players playing at day one. I saw a couple. Arctinas. Maybe, no, no, actually, I played against an Arcambrion that had the Avery in it, actually, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't remember. But I did see some I did see some Avery in the Arceus decks. None of, none of these top finishing lists, though. Um, <clears throat> but speaking about the uh, rest of the top... Yeah, there was almost four Arceus decks in top eight. That's kind of crazy. Um, that's a lot it of Arceus. It is crazy. <laughs> that's a lot of Arceus. Uh, maybe that makes sense why it was all North American players in top eight, because Arceus was apparently such a good play. And you know us North Americans love Arceus. And Europeans and Australian players. Latin American players, I, yeah, besides North American players, no one likes Arceus. <laughs> so if Arceus <laughs> is a really good play for the tournament, it kind of makes sense that, um, you know, it was so prevalent in the top eight from the North American players. So, yeah, Europeans, if you guys just picked up Arceus, I'm just saying. Hey, like... listen, loyal uh, Patreon supporter Stephen Kent did get top 16 with Arctina from the UK. So shout outs to Stephen, top oh, yeah, 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in there with the Arctina. So, you know, there are some. Okay, my foreigners. bad. There are some. I just, yeah. I just said it there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see it there. Some non North Americans, I guess, do enjoy. There's some Arc enjoyers outside of North America. They exist, <laughs> they're real. Um, but we did see a couple guard war in the top eight, two guard wars, Cal Connor and Rowan third and fourth. Um, so we didn't see any guard war in the finals, which I think this is the first major tournament since Paldea evolved cards have been all in a format that Guardi has not been in the finals. I'm pretty sure. So first, but still interesting right stat there, right? there as well. Yeah, I kind of made note of it on one of my streams before an AC is like, so far, I think since we've had super Art and Iono, in format, Guardi's been in every finals of every major tournament, not just in, I mean, like, obviously it's the first one outside of, like, uh, outside of Asia, but, like, uh, Taiwan, Japan, whatever. There's always been a Guardi in the finals, but it wasn't too far away, right? Third, fourth, uh, and I don't think anything too spicy in either of these lists. Um, Cal was still rocking Luminion, which we hadn't seen a lot of. Both players played the uh, Scarlet and Violet Rolts. Scarlet and Violet? Scarlet and Violet Rolts. Uh, And then both players did also play uh, and out to the Mawile. We saw Cal with the Penny, and then we saw Rowan with the Switch, actually. So no uh, Pal Pad, and instead went for the third boss over Pal Pad, which has kind of been like a back and forth thing that pe- uh, players have been uh, like talking about. Pal Pad versus third boss. 
Um, and I guess because there was no pal pad, they felt like the switch was a better option than the penny. Although you can still end up in like an awkward situation where it's like you switch your Greninja out of the active. I guess you have collapse stadium. So you'd be trying to find the full switch plus collapse combo. So they can't just like, you know, get Mawile. But what what, what yeah. that can actually recover Mawile anyways. So, um, but yeah, both played the out to the Mawile, which um, I don't know how much Mawile there actually was at the tournament. I heard about quite a few people playing it. Um, I actually sat next. <laughs> it's so funny. I sat next to a Guardi mirror match. Um, and game one on their side, one of the players opened up Mawile. I was like, ooh, Mawile and Guardi. What? That's like a, that's a, <clears throat> some friendly fire going on over there. And then I, and I later on in this, later on uh, in their set, I looked over again and the other player had a Mawile on their bench. And I was like, both of these Guardi players are playing Mawile. What is going on here? Um, and yeah, neither of them put down their Greninjas or anything, but it was really funny that both of them uh, chose to play, chose to play Mawile. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I did hear about a decent amount of it running, running around throughout the term. So it seems like playing an out to it was probably, uh, probably the safe bet. Um, I didn't play an out to it myself in my Guardi build, but I also didn't hit any Mawile. So I guess I got the, the fortunate variance on that. Yeah. And I think it makes sense if you want to play an out, like if you have Luminion, you play Penny. If not, I actually yeah. do kind of like the switch. Um, it's. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not necessary so much of the time just because you have Gardevoir to just naturally move damage um, or move move yeah. um, your Pokemon around pretty easily. You can just retreat and do whatever. But uh, the like... fact that you can find the switch off of the Mew is probably like the main yeah. reason that this was the inclusion, right? It allows you to like overextend at the end of the game as well and like put 11 energy in play or something. Then your opponent's like, oh, I got you. Boss, you're Greninja. And you're like, ah, switch. And you're like, ah, I lost. All right. So you can go like switch <laughs> plus boss at the end of the game. Um, mm -hmm. So it allows you to like overextend potentially that way as well. Um, I think I still like theoretically like the Penny a little bit more. Like usually if they have you in the Mawire lock, they're basically conceding if you have an out, they lose. So it doesn't matter when you get the out. Um, as long as you just get it eventually. And I think that Penny has like some more niche situ or has more situations that come up in other matchups. That's really good uh, as mm -hmm, well, like sure. specifically up against Lost Box. Like sometimes just getting some little chump at a play is just like good. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess another thing I'll mention about both players list, they both chose to play 10 basic psychic and one reversal. I don't think I had seen that energy split yet. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know the Australians chose to play no reversal uh, in their Guardi, um, and that's what my group did as well. We went 11 basics, no reversal. I hadn't seen the 10 basic one reversal, though. That's a, that's a new one that I haven't seen yet. <clears throat> yeah, interesting that both of the top eight lists went that route as well, um, and also did play the one Ralts. I mean, for anyone who's like kind of curious, like what's the reason... For the Scarlet Violet Ralts, because it's not just like, oh, it's the only Ralts I had, and it doesn't matter that much, so I'll just play it. Like, there's, <laughs> it's always funny because it's like the even down to like which basic you play can matter at these tournaments, yeah. right? And actually, like teleportation Ralts, and um, I'm actually surprised that Rowan didn't play one of the other Ralts. They were both very good in going into this tournament because a lot of people played Panic Mask and. What's the other one called? <laughs> uh, just uh, box of disaster. Box of disaster. So doing yeah. so using teleportation or the other rolls kind of breaks bro box of disaster and fully disrupts that play. And sometimes the the rolls that says your opponent's Pokemon can't attack or you pick an attack they can't use on their next turn is really enough against those decks to like slow them down for a whole turn because it's usually like Arceus decks that have the masks and the box of disasters. Um, and even just doing that ten damage to something that has a panic mask on it can make it that much easier. 
um, or go from impossible to possible to actually get a KO on a Panic Mask like Arceus on your following turn just by doing like 10 damage because then you only need 7 energy on like your uh, Shiny Arcana Guard for on the following turn or Zacian as well. So then you can actually get to the numbers to actually get a knockout sometimes. Um, so yeah, Teleportation was like still pretty good. That, that's why the other guard... I was actually yeah, surprised. Like I'm not super surprised to see the Scarlet and Violet Rolls because I saw people talking about it leading going into the tournament, but I am surprised to see no of the... Um, what what is that one called? The sixty HP memory skip. Memory skip one. Yeah, I'm surprised to see no memory skip uh, in here from Rowan because I still think that's worth worth playing as the as a as a one of for sure. <clears throat> and then there was the lost box from Victor Aung who got into the top eight and he actually started twelve and one in the tournament. So super yeah. hot start, locked up top eight pretty early on. Kind of had a chill into the. Um, last few rounds and he's someone i think he probably got hurt the most to be honest from the top eight repair situation or like the the seating changing um i don't remember who he was supposed to play i think it was supposed to be him versus rowan and then he hit cyrus whenever the bracket changed yeah yeah so unfortunate switch up but yeah like, kind of like talking about the situation i still think it's like it feels bad for Victor in that situation, but I feel like it's one of those things where it's like it's theoretically almost random. Anyways, is who you're gonna play. You got to beat the course, you, got, you yeah. got to beat the person in front of you no matter what. So it doesn't really matter who it is, uh, and it definitely still would have been. It still justified that if they did DQ someone. I, I think, do think he did. He did scoop to Ian in the last round to put Ian on the same side of the bracket as him, mm. so that he wouldn't have to play the Arctur Umbreon in top eight, right? So he was like trying to do some of that. Stuff you get to do whenever you start off that yeah, well, you can just like <laughs> try to scoop someone around so you can avoid it and cut. Um, and then you know, maybe if he just had ideas instead, <laughs> you know, you have to wonder what if, but you can't focus on those things, obviously. Like you yeah. said, it is kind of just random at the end of the day. Yeah, I kind of assumed that Victor was still playing the Aerodactyl shenanigans, but just more of a I did too. I think I said it on the broadcast because I was just like <laughs> <laughs> sure that that's what he was playing, but no, it's like more straightforward turbo loss box. Yeah, kind of just like a turbo build, right? Nothing too crazy. Has a Luminion in here, which uh, which is like kind of, I guess, that one thing that Victor has been playing for a while. No Aerodactyl, uh, but has the Luminion with one Ultra Ball in there. Um, and yeah, just a turbo build, right? Three Vacuum, some Pokestops, trying to get through the deck, get off some turn one attacks. Um, and yeah, just kind of do what Lost Box does best. Um, so Honestly, yeah. I kind of like the idea of Ultra Ball, like even just as a one of in Lost Box. Um, because of Iono being in the format, right? So you're just going to end up with, you know, through concealed cards, draw for turn, whatever. You're going to end up with, like, Battle VIP pass in your hand later in the game or just oh, yeah. other, like, extra lost vacuums that you don't need and stuff, which you can burn lost vacuum to an extent sometimes, but it can just be nice with an incoming Iono to just Ultra Ball it and get rid of, like, a Pokemon V you know you're not going to need in this matchup or Battle VIP pass, whatever, thin cards out actively, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't hate it, I guess. Um, especially if like, you're committed to Luminian, you really like Luminian, then it makes sense. Uh, we right, don't, we don't have access to Justin Brothers' Lugia build. Do you know if it was a single strike or a colorless build? I do believe it was single strike. Makes sense. Colorless isn't very good. Um, but <laughs> I guess the other deck we could highlight, I guess, here out of this, um, out of the day two decks that we have available is the highest placing Chi and Pao deck, um, which was a pretty interesting build. Super aggressive build. The cross switchers to cancel in Cologne and pokey stops alongside an arceus line to set up those big combos no palkia no b barrel and there was the mew in there with the mysterious tail which makes sense when you're trying to combo all these item cards together and a card that i like seeing in here which is like 
in my testing with Chien Pao leading up to Nancy, which wasn't very much, but I came to the conclusion towards the end of it, I was like, you know what? Avery seems really good in here because I like I don't really have a supporter I want to play, but Guardi has way too many Pokemon on their bench. So they do have the Avery in here, which I think is just like a really like I was even mentioning with the Arceus decks. I think Avery's just really good against Guardi. Um, so super aggressive uh, build here. I'm actually kind of surprised to see no escape rope, but the Avery in here. I guess they do have the cross switchers, but uh, yeah. Is this the way to play Chi and Pao, you think, moving forward? Or like, um, can we maybe play a little bit less aggressive? Because this is like aggressive. Yeah, I maybe don't super know about the decision to include um, Arceus V-Star. I mean, I, I've kind of liked the idea of Palkia. It's just kind of gets you it's a little bit of like backscalibur security you know if you're unable to get a backscalibur but you've got the potential of a turn to star portal you can still you know make Greninja or Chi and Pao happen for a lot of damage and sometimes all you need is just to um close out the game with something with a little more hp and that's what i mean i guess you can attack with arceus as well yeah. but uh, Origin 4 Palkia V-Star does more damage, theoretically, in most matchups. Yeah, not to the point where it maybe makes a difference. I feel like the Arcus has to be probably for... Well, the the, the combo potential with Starburst for, like, Crosswitchers canceling clone combos, right? Against yeah, Guardi and, and I do Lost think, Box. like, if you're if you're not playing Bibarel, Arceus is probably better than Palkia, yeah. but that is the big missing piece to me in here, is that the fact that there's no Bibarel. Bibarel is, like... I've I've played a bit of Backscalibur now at this point. I think it's actually like really strong, and um, Bibro is like a huge part of that because you're playing Irida and um, uh, Melanie or Boss like a lot of the turns. So or not Melanie, um, uh, Iono, Irida, Iono. So it's like you're not playing the most powerful draw options. Um, but in this list, it's really just four Irida and then just a bunch of tech supporters. So. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to try this list out a bit. It definitely seems cool. Yeah, I think the Arceus is really good for the Lost Box matchup. You're not just getting one hit KO'd by Dragonite or Raikou and letting him like, kind of yeah. keep pace in the prize trade. And then I think one of the problems with back with the Chi and Pao Backscalibur is like you're just unfavored in the prize trade against the top two decks in Guardi and Lost Box. And so you need you need that canceling cologne combo to cheat the prize trade with your Greninja. So I think it's probably the reason that they are going with the Starbirth. That's why the Starbirth is so good. And that's why, like, you know, it's such an aggressive list. Because, like, if you just kind of play those matchups straight up, I feel like you are coming away on the losing side too often. So I feel like having yeah. those, you just need that, you just need to get that combo, the cross switcher or boss into canceling clone combo off once, or I guess I twice say, with two canceling clone and try and cheat we it. Did see, uh, we did see on the winning end today, too, Owen actually played against Jose Marrero on stream on the winning end, and Jose was playing Ting Lu yeah. EX. <laughs> And I do have to say, the double canceling cologne came in pretty handy in that matchup. <laughs> I can imagine that uh, was pretty good. Yeah, I think I saw Jose's tweet about that. That's pretty unfortunate. You know, you're on the winning in with your Ting Lu deck, which you're questioning if you're even allowed to play it at the tournament because it's banned on PDCG Live. So you've been trying to test with it. You're unsure if you can play it at the tournament. Somehow you make it to round nine. No one's called you out yet. And then your winning in opponent has double canceling cologne. You're like, well, okay, I guess. And um, one more thing I think we would be remiss to not mention because it was kind of the talk of the tournament in day one was Alex Shemansky playing the oh, yeah. United <laughs> Wings uh, going eight and eight and one in day one, I think. Right. Pretty good. Record eight. Oh, one. Like I think yeah, I think it was eight and one. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, just kind of tried to make a meta call, or I think what his tweet said, or maybe it was one of the other players who played it tweeted, said something like, somehow, somewhere along the way, someone decided it was okay to take a loss to Lost Box, and it ended up being a pretty decent meta call because Lost Box was only 13% compared to what maybe a lot of people would have expected over 15, right? So, um, yeah, pretty funny. Lost uh, the United Wings, I, I mean... The list seems solid. The Glade makes a lot of sense in there. The Refinement Curly is obviously pretty powerful. Squawkabilly EX to have that early game consistency. And yeah, I mean, if nothing else, the deck definitely just is cool and seems like a ton of fun to play, right? Like, it's definitely way more fun to play something like United Wings than like brain blast yourself with Gardevoir or Lost Box, <laughs> right? <laughs> definitely. I'm definitely going to be picking up Shamansky List and trying it out this week uh, at some point on the stream. Definitely excited for to try that deck. I actually haven't really tried out much of the I've also wanted to like play with Ting Lu as well. So I might try and hunt down Jose's list and try that out as well. Um, Cause I've not done a lot of playing with the new cards to be honest, even though this has been out for a while. So yeah, I mean, it's cool to see it uh, do. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty uh, quick fall, I guess from Shemansky, unfortunately, I think ended up 65th um, from like a yeah. really, really good start. So it would've been cool to see uh potentially even being in top eight, but yeah, you're hoping to dodge, I think it was did, like two rounds in a Cyrus row. Cyrus at some point. Um, yeah, he hit Victor and Cyrus in yeah. back-to-back to pretty much end his tournament run, which was a bummer. That's kind of unfortunate because, like, if you look at the... There's, like, no loss box towards the top. There's some at towards the bottom of top 32, but... Yeah. Not a ridiculous amount of loss box, so... Um, definitely, uh... Definitely unfortunate uh, finish after starting the 8-1, but I think that's going to wrap up, uh... Or almost wrap up our NAIC talk. The last thing to mention was our predictions going into NAIC. Uh, we had a couple of predictions. Uh, yeah. What region will win? Uh, I said Australia, <laughs> but I didn't know. So in my defense, I didn't know Henry Brand was going to bring Lawson Tina to the tournament. So if I had <laughs> known that. Okay, most of the other Australians played Gardevoir, though. So like, yeah, but there's like he's like 25 percent, and there's like four of them. Like that's still <laughs> that's, that's fair. Like our... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> had I known that, I would not have said Australia would have won. Um, and I will definitely not be picking Australia to win Worlds. I didn't know Los Antina was in their arsenal, but now that I know, um, <laughs> this makes sense um, why they haven't won their home IC yet. If hey, they're bringing Los Antina. One, one tally on Chip's side <laughs> for predicting the NA dub. Yeah, Chip, and it was obviously. pretty much an all after um, after the top eight DQ. It was eight North American players in top cut as well. So, uh, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty easy pick from chip i tried to spice it up a little bit um and then we had the over under on guard where i think i think we mentioned did we mention earlier i don't know if we did but yeah did. both got the uh over on the 22 percent that we set for that and then highest placing chi and pow i said top 32 and there was one two in top 32 but chip guessed top 16 and uh owen with the carry there with the turbo chi and pow that we just showed getting chip that prediction win uh so yeah chip I guess won the predictions this time, two to one or three to one. Yeah. Well, you you got three of them right. I got one of them right. There you, you go. <laughs> Math is hard. Uh, but yeah, super sick event. Um, yeah, it was a ton of fun. And it's, I think it's cool to see how the meta developed. Some interesting decks popping up. Stuff like the United Wings showing that it can compete. Just kind of dodge some matchups. Uh, Mew didn't show up too much, but I didn't really expect it to personally. There was a lot of Spiritomb. Uh, overall, like I think all the Arceus decks played Spiritomb, right? Like all the Arceus decks in the top 
Uh, Eight played Spiritomb. Um, I believe Rowan played Spiritomb. I don't think Cal did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you not really showing up wasn't too big of a surprise. Lugia did okay. I don't think Lugia is very good in this meta, though, to be honest. I just don't think it actually fits into the meta very well. Uh, it's got too many rough matchups. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, the top two decks, I think, are still going to be Lost Box and Guardi moving forward. Um, but biggest event uh, of uh, the year outside of Japan has concluded. And we got like a month till Worlds now. Yep, so we'll have to keep our eye on how the meta continues to develop and analyze what we think players should do moving forward. And we'll talk about that in a future episode. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. But for now, that will do it for us this week. We're going to get into our Patreon exclusive bonus episode in just a few moments. But in the meantime, we do need to thank everyone else for listening. Your support means a lot to us, to everyone who came up to us and said hello and uh, took a picture or whatever, anything like that. We are super grateful for all of your support. And if you want to keep showing your support, the best way to do that is to leave us a rating, a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Drop a like here on the YouTube channel. A comment any way you interact is good for that good old algorithm. And if you want to show that little extra support, we're about to get into our Patreon exclusive bonus episode. Yeah, so check that out. There'll be a link to the Patreon in the description if you want. Um, thanks for the support as always. Um, I think with that said, we'll catch you all next Tuesday at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace.